Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff, Wittell is your host. This is being recorded live and broadcasted live on November 26, 2022. The time right now, 10.05 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What a last two weeks I have had. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. A lot has happened. There's been a lot going on. And I've been at the center of a lot of it. There's big stories I want to talk about that we did not talk about on previous weeks. One of them I knew about, one of them I didn't, but I have not talked about either on this show up until this episode. And I really am at the forefront of both stories, one being especially big, making the mainstream media, not just the poker media, but the mainstream media. And you may already know what I'm talking about. But we're going to get into all of it from start to present and also future with these stories. And then we also have to cover uh, FTX stuff that has changed somewhat since I last talked to you. It's been 13 days since our last show. I'll tell you why it was a few extra days this time. But anyway, we have a free roll right now. There's only a few minutes left to get in. I delayed it once. I didn't want to delay it a second time. But it's $50. And uh, $30 came from VetGuy94. $20 came from Eric Benzamokin. And you can find this on the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen. And you can get in until 10.10. Got four more minutes to get in, which is enough time because you need an already validated account to play it. It's a separate system, the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need to make an account. It needs to be validated and verified. And then you can win the free money, which we give away just about every week. 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third are the prizes this time. 25 15 and 10. And to understand how to qualify for the free money, go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. I can pay you in a lot of different ways, including cryptocurrency. I can send you bank transfers. There's a, there's a lot of different ways I can pay you. So if you want to get paid, you have to first understand the rules to qualify for the free money which haven't changed in a long time, but they're still active. And then just go on and win if you're listening live. It's a fun thing to do in the background if you are listening live. It's always a very small field because I run the show late at night. And the truth is almost everybody who listens to the show listens in the archives. So the live listenership is not particularly high, especially because we had an erratic schedule as of late. And when we do go, it is pretty late at night, especially for those on the East Coast. And I guess it's very, very early for those in Europe. We do have some European listeners as well. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. Please wait until I'm between segments or winding down a segment to call in, unless there's something you want to talk about in that segment itself. If you're calling about a segment we're discussing already, I guess you can call in the middle, but try to wait till either between segments or as it seems like we're about to finish the segment and by the way, I do edit the show afterwards, so sometimes I'll have someone call in later on in the show and mention something I talked about hours earlier. And what I do when I edit, I just move the call to right after the topic's concluded, so this way it all flows better. So don't feel bad if you want to call in about something I talked about hours ago. There's a lot of different ways to catch the show in the archives. We are on just about every platform you can think of, except YouTube. We're not on YouTube. However, you can find us on iTunes. Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Podcasts, 
the Bullhorn app, which actually has a call to listen line to listen to the show. There is the TuneIn app where you can listen live or in the archives. We have two entries on there. The Stitcher app, one of the oldest podcasting apps out there. We are still carried on there. And you can also download or play the MP3 file of the show. We generate an MP3 file every time, an old school MP3. But you can find that just by clicking the MP3 button on the radio tab pokerfraudler.com. Just go to the radio tab and scroll down and you'll see all the different little buttons for different ways to listen. We're also on Audible and even Amazon Alexa can do it. Just say Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Say it slowly and say it exactly like that and it'll play the most recent episode and just say next to go to episodes that are further back. A lot of different ways to listen. If there's another way you want me to provide and it's not too expensive or too troublesome, then let me know. You can text me at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at our main phone number, which is 775-372-8355. Whether we're on live or whether it's a time we're not on live, I will typically respond to you. And you're welcome to give me comments on the show, even negative ones. You know, be respectful, but if there's something you didn't like, I'm not going to be insulted. I like to get feedback, good and bad, so I know how the audience is reacting to things that I'm doing. I'm not saying I'm going to change everything based on your comment alone, but I kind of weigh everything together because I do the show for all of you, not for myself. If it was for myself, I wouldn't need to broadcast. I could just talk to myself. It'd be a lot easier. So I'm really doing the show for the listeners and trying to present content that they want to hear. So feedback is always good. Or if there's questions you want to ask me or advice you want to ask from me, I sometimes have people texting me asking for advice on different matters and I do my best to give that, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. You can't text it, but it's an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 40 minutes away from Vegas by car. It does get snow on it during the winter, and it forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. We also have a call-to-listen line. The call-to-listen line is very simple. You call up and you listen to the show on your phone. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a computer or the internet. No, 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 no. And it won't use up any of your data. It's just a regular phone call from any phone that can dial. The phone number is 518-931-1189, 518-931-1189, the call to listen line. When we're not live, it plays one of our streaming reruns which it just picks at random and runs the show as if it's live from our more than 450 or so episodes we've done in, since early 2012. So it goes way back, just picks those at random and runs them when we're not live. But you can listen to the live show on there too, 518-931-1189, the call to listen line. If you can call U.S. numbers for free, then it is free for you unless you have T-Mobile, in which case it costs a whopping one cent per minute, which I don't get. It never buffers and will never freeze. It's the perfect thing to use if your internet connection is not very good, like when you're driving around, you have one bar that is a way to listen to the show, and it will work. Never buffering. That's my guarantee to you. I'll give you the agenda, and then we will get going. The main story, the very, very main story this week, and we're going to talk a long time about it, is the... BetMGM bank theft scandal of which I was a victim. 
And I knew I was a victim when I did the last show. Remember the last show on November 13th? I was already aware at that point I was a victim. It shows you how I can turn off whatever else is going on and do radio and just pretend like everything's okay. But everything was not okay. I was spending a lot of time on those days, including the day of the last radio, very aggressively researching what was going on because it was very disturbing. $10,000 disappeared from my bank account. And BetMGM took it, but I didn't have a BetMGM account. And I knew that was a very bad thing. And I didn't know how it was done or why it was done or who did it or whether it was just me or if it hit a lot of people at once. But I was very, very aggressively researching it, putting a lot of time and effort into it. But I didn't mention it on the last show for reasons I will tell you when I explain everything going on. But this has blown up to a huge story. Since then, you've probably heard about it by now. If you Google my name and BetMGM, you will see there are articles in the mainstream media now about this on ESPN, on ABC News, and I will not tell you which other one because it's not out yet, but an even more major publication, a very, very major publication is probably going to be releasing an article about this very, very soon. So it's become a very big story that is now extending outside of poker. In fact, it's probably even a story which has affected the stock market. I kid you not. The stock market was probably affected by this as well for certain stocks. So it's not just a little local story that someone stole 10K from Dandruff. They did steal 10K from Dandruff, but that was just the very beginning. That'll be our main topic. The BetMGM, Borgata, and Viejas thefts from bank accounts of poker players, and the separate but very possibly related DraftKings hackings that have been going on in the last week or so. So that's our main topic tonight, and there's a lot to get into with that. Then we're going to talk about something which was a disturbing story when I heard about it, even though this one did not involve me, but I threw myself into it because... A Minnesota poker player, actually a female poker player, who was playing slots on ignition, won a $241,000 jackpot, and they locked her account and wouldn't pay her. They didn't tell her she's not getting paid, but they froze her account for weeks and would not give her answers, wouldn't let her speak to anyone in power, and basically said, tough luck, we'll give you an answer when we're ready to give you an answer. And it was very disturbing to me to hear about the story, even though it didn't affect me at all. And even though I didn't really know this woman aside from seeing her around on Twitter, I never talked to her before in my life. But I said, you know what? This is wrong. This is what Poker Fraud Alert is here to do. Even though this wasn't directly about poker, it occurred on a site that also offers poker, Ignition, and it occurred to a poker player. And in fact, I also deal with gambling issues, not just poker, as you've heard on this show. So this was a perfect thing for me to also get involved with. So I threw myself into a second situation, which wasn't quite as big because it only affected one person. But I threw myself into that and a major social media campaign was started to get this woman her money. So I'll tell you what happened with that. And I will also bring her on the show. She's agreed to come on the show. Her name is Mandy. Joey Ingram and Norman Chad had an ugly dispute which resulted in Joey threatening to punch Norman in the ribs and Norman leaving Twitter. 
it seems like this is finally kind of winding down. But this was a surprising dispute and some surprising behavior going on in the dispute. So we'll talk about what happened between Norman and Joey. And by the way, I like them both. In fact, I was on Joey's show. And I'll tell you how to find that. I was on with him for about 90 minutes about the big topic I just mentioned, the thefts out of the bank accounts. So I like Joey and I like Norman. And I'm actually glad to see that this seems to be rectified, or at least partially rectified, because... I don't like seeing people fight that I like. Then we have an FTX update. FTX, of course, the major crypto exchange operated by Sam Bankman-Fried that collapsed and sent major reverberations throughout the crypto world. We have more news regarding that, so I will tell you what has happened since we last talked about FTX. Remember, we did a kind of a separate show about FTX. It was all one episode with the FTX stuff and non-FTX stuff, but actually split it into two parts in the archives. Adele is at Caesars Palace and performing. Can you believe it? I thought that would never happen after everything she had been doing this year. What a disaster that whole thing was, that residency that never became a residency and screwed people over. It was a giant mess. But anyway, she finally performed. I'll tell you how that went. And what we can expect from this in the future. Bitcoin Latinum, not Bitcoin Platinum, and not Bitcoin. Bitcoin Latinum, which, by the way, has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's a kind of a trick, that name. It is a cryptocurrency. It's a token, actually, currently. It was heavily promoted by Phil Helmuth, and it is being sued, as is the creator of Bitcoin Latinum. And it's possible that Helmuth might be sued next. Uh Uh-oh. Bitcoin Latinum has been an absolute disaster. So that'll be our final topic. Even though we don't have a whole lot of topics, we have a number of long topics. So this is probably going to be a long show. We'll see, but I didn't put 13 topics on here because we're not going to have time for that. I will run out of energy for sure because we have some big stuff to talk about. Okay, so I'm inserting this part into the show after the fact. This was not part of the original broadcast. But I'm just letting everybody know that I decided to split this again into two episodes like we did on the November 13th episode. So this is going to be part one you're going to hear, which is about the BetMGM bank theft scandal. And then part two, which will be released a few days later, most likely, will be everything else. So we're doing the same format as we did on the November 13th show. And it's mainly because the show was very long. It was about eight and a half hours after editing out the breaks. So I decided I'll just split it into two, so this way I can get this part of it into the archives faster. I'm going to get right into the situation with the bank thefts and BetMGM. Here's what happened. On the early morning of November 8th, I was just sitting at my computer and looking at various things. First of all, I was looking at analysis about how the election was likely to go, though that ended up being incorrect, as you guys know. Democrats did a lot better than expected, but this is not a political topic. I just mentioning it happened to be election day, but very, very early in the morning before anyone had voted, like 2 a.m. Pacific time. So I looked at that, and then I thought, well, you know what? Why don't I pay some bills, too? So I was paying some credit cards. I was managing my bank account, just kind of going through everything, as I do every so often. 
and I went to one of my bank accounts, and I saw something you just don't ever want to see. It's like when you see it, you're almost in disbelief. Like you think maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe you're seeing something wrong. But I found that there was a $10,000 debit from my bank account from BetMGM LLC. I don't have a BetMGM account. BetMGM is the legalized and regulated sports book that is run by MGM. And it exists in several states, basically wherever they have a license to operate. There is no BetMGM California because there can't be. It would be illegal to have that because sports betting is not yet legal in California. But you can create BetMGM accounts for every state that exists, and you can do it right from your own home without going to those states. The only restriction is you cannot bet at all until you actually are physically standing in those states. You don't need to be living there, but you have to be physically present there to use the accounts. However, you can load them up beforehand. So let's say you know you're going to be going to New Jersey. You can start up a BetMGM New Jersey account, and then you can load it up with money all from your home in another state, and then you'll be all ready to bet when you land in New Jersey and are physically standing in New Jersey, then you don't have to hassle with all the deposit stuff. And similarly, when you leave New Jersey, or even while you're still there, you can cash out. So you don't have to be in New Jersey to cash out or deposit only to actually bet. So that's uh, BetMGM. They are on, they're in a number of states. But I never made a BetMGM account. I do bet sports, but I don't do it on BetMGM because I'm not in a state where I can bet legally. And when I say that, I mean I can gamble and I'm not going to be in trouble if I bet on sports because I'm just a player. I'm not an operator. I'm not a bookie. I'm not running a sports book or assisting with running a sports book. So I'm not doing anything illegal there. But I can only use sports books in California that aren't licensed and regulated and that are operating offshore. And that's been the case for all time since internet gambling existed in California. California has never had a way to bet on sports legally. So I just don't really bother with accounts on sports books in regulated areas. Even when I'm visiting those areas, it's just not worth it. I just use my existing offshore accounts because why set all that up if I'm not going to be in those states very often? So I did not set up a BetMGM account. I never had one. So I knew there's a big problem that a $10,000 charge was on my bank account. The $10,000 got grabbed out of my bank account by BetMGM LLC. And a lot went through my mind when I saw that. First of all, like, oh my God, it's $10,000. Like, oh yeah, I can afford losing $10,000, but it's not trivial money to me. You know, $10,000 is $10,000. That's pretty disturbing for me to lose. So while it's not devastating my finances, it's not like someone stole $100. You know, $10,000 is a big deal. So $100 being stolen from me, I would also get to the bottom of that and get it back in whatever way I needed to. But at least I wouldn't be going, oh man, I can't believe $100 has gone from my account. I hope I get it back. Like it sucks, but it's not something where the money is so large that it is like disturbing that it's missing. But $10,000, when that's missing out of your bank account, you got to be really, really, really rich to not really be shocked by that. So yeah, I was pretty shocked that $10,000 was taken out of my bank account without my knowledge or permission. The date of the transaction was October 24th, so it had been about two weeks. 
I just hadn't noticed because I hadn't looked at that account in those two weeks. Usually I look at my account more often than once every two weeks, but it just so happened two weeks passed and I had not looked at that particular bank account. So that guy got by me for about two weeks. But I thought, okay, well, now I've got to figure out what happened here. I didn't do this. So who did it? And why did they do it? And why may sound like a stupid question because you would think the answer is, well, obviously to steal my money, right? Well, maybe, but maybe not. I thought maybe it could be someone who just didn't like me and wanted to do this to just get revenge on me in some way. Maybe they weren't even looking to get the money, but just to take it from me. I didn't know. Maybe it was both. Maybe someone who didn't like me and wanted to steal. And I didn't know if this was aimed at just me or if this was something aimed at a whole lot of people. So that was a big question in my mind. And then another big question was, of course, how? How did they get away with this? How did they do it? So these were all answers I couldn't get at 2 in the morning on November 8th, which was a Tuesday. But I decided to start from the very beginning. And the first thing I went to go look at was whether or not other players had been hit. Because remember, it had been two weeks. I just hadn't noticed for those two weeks. So I thought, okay, in two weeks, if this has been hitting other people, for sure... Others must be talking about this. I haven't really seen it anywhere, but I'm going to search Twitter. I'm going to search 2 plus 2. I'm going to search the usual places where this would be discussed if other poker players were hit with such a scam. I even searched uh, sports betting sites. Nothing. Nothing. I could not find any discussion of this occurring. So that really made me think for the moment that maybe this was just aimed at me may not have been malicious in that it may have just been someone who figured I had $10,000 to steal, which I did, and that I was a good one to steal it from because they would figure I'd have it, and as long as I could get access to my bank account through BetMGM, that they could get that money. Maybe it wasn't someone who hated me but just wanted to steal my money, but also it could have been someone who was doing this maliciously. So there was a lot going through my mind. It was a very disturbing situation, and even if this was not malicious, it was very troublesome to me that this could happen especially through a licensed and regulated sports betting site that is supposed to have a lot of security to prevent things like this. The whole point of licensed and regulated sports betting, and poker for that matter, is so you can trust the sites to not screw you and that there is there's various protocols in place for security so people can't steal from you, people can't cheat you. The offshore sites can do what they want. You just basically have to trust them. And if they screw you over, your only recourse is to slam them on social media. But the licensed and regulated sites have very strict rules they have to follow. They have very strict regulations they have to follow. There are procedures put in place that are supposed to protect their players and even people who are not their players. They're supposed to all have a know-your-customer procedure to where they're sure that they're dealing with the person who claims to be that person. So you can't have impersonations on there if there's a strong know-your-customer requirement that they have to adhere to. Now, of course, this varies from state to state because each state has different laws regarding the level of security that they must have and the procedures they must follow. But still, it's all along the same lines that this is supposed to be something that protects us. The difference between BetMGM and something like BetOnline or Bovada or Heritage Sports is that these are domestic companies that operate under U.S. state regulations 
and that we're supposed to feel safe and secure using them. And even not using them. Even if we don't use them, we're supposed to feel safe and secure that people can't impersonate us. So this is really bothersome. This is much worse than like if Bet Online did this to me. Now, yeah, of course, I'd be bothered if Bet Online did this to me, but I'd say, okay, well, that's what happens with unlicensed, unregulated sites like Bet Online. These things can happen. But the funny thing is, this never has happened with Bet Online. This never has happened with Bovada. This never has happened with any of these offshore sites where money's just jacked out of my bank account. Never. And they have sent me wires before from these sites. Nowadays, I withdraw with crypto, but before that, I was getting a lot of wires. And never once did someone take my banking info and steal money out of my bank account. So this was a new one, and it was $10,000. It wasn't like they stole 100 bucks from me. A lot of things were going through my head. Just imagine. Imagine you're going through your statements late at night, and you find this, how you'd feel. And that's how I felt. Just picture yourself in my shoes. Forget whether that amount of money would cripple me or anything like that. You know, put that aside. Just picture you're going through it and you see a $10,000 theft directly out of your bank account that you knew nothing about. How would you feel from a regulated site? Like how angry would you be? But I didn't have time to sit around being angry. I needed to jump to action and figure this out. So since I drew a blank online as far as other victims, it looked like I was the only one at the time. I said, well, I've got to investigate this on my own. Now, you might wonder, why didn't I just go to the police or the FBI or something? Well, let me tell you the fantasy and the reality when it comes to the police and the FBI. The fantasy is you bring them something like this and they will immediately assign this to a crack agent or detective who is extremely sharp, has a lot of time to devote to this, and can effortlessly solve the crime and have the perpetrators arrested, just like you see on TV. That's the fantasy. Here's the reality. These departments are extremely busy, and they often don't have time to investigate crimes like these. The FBI has so many things coming across their desk, it's unlikely that they were going to be interested in this, even given it was $10,000. And while the local police would have an interest because of the amount being $10,000, I didn't know if they would have the capability to investigate this or if they would have the time. Because remember, the local police, they're not just investigating financial fraud. They are investigating violent crime and all kinds of other issues that are brought to them. And they only have so many detectives to do it. So is my case more important than a murder, a rape, or home invasion robberies or anything like that? carjackings? Of course not. Of course those will take priority. So there's only so much time they're going to put in to investigating this. So when it comes to bringing things like this to the police, the best thing you can do is find out as much as you can first yourself until you kind of hit a wall, and then you bring it to the police. You bring them everything you found, you present it in an organized and coherent fashion, and then let them go from there. That's how you do it with the police. So I knew the police were not my first stop. I knew they were an eventual stop, and I was definitely planning to go to the police. But I knew I had to investigate first, because if I just said, hey, 10K was taken out of my bank account, then I would have been asked, well, did you report to the bank? I would have said yes. Okay, well, let's see if you get the money back. 
did you get the money back? Well, yes. Okay, well, uh, we, we really can't figure out who did this. Goodbye. Like, I kind of pictured that's the way it would go if I did not start this myself and, and bring some stuff to them to give them a head start. And nothing against law enforcement here. I'm just saying that's the way it works because they're very busy. And you like to think you'll be the center of their universe, but you're not. They prioritize cases by how major and important they are and how much the city will be served by solving your case. I had to spring into action and figure this all out myself. First call was to my bank, and I let them know. It was an offshore call center at 2 in the morning. Really, it is sometimes you call during the day, too. And they started a case and all that. Now, there's another fantasy people have when they report a theft to their bank, either from their checking account where a theft like this happened or against their credit card. And by the way, this was against my checking account. This was not a credit card fraud. Like a credit card situation is not quite as bad. And the reason that's not quite as bad is a credit card, you get a bill and then you're asked to pay the bill. So no money has actually been stolen from you yet if someone steals using your credit card. So you just call up the credit card company and say, I didn't make this charge. Then they just take the charge off while they investigate. And unless they can prove you did make the charge, it never comes back. It's much less disturbing when actual money disappears from your bank account. So that $10,000 that I had, my money, I could not access. It was gone. It was taken away from me. That's much worse than a credit card statement saying someone charged $10,000 and I just go, no, that wasn't mine, I'm not paying. Very big difference. People have this fantasy that if they report credit card fraud or bank account fraud, that their bank will jump into investigation mode and again, just like what I described with the police and FBI fantasy, that they're going to jump into a major investigation and solve everything for you and then give it to law enforcement who will arrest the people who did it. Nope, that's not what happens. The reality is all your bank is doing is checking that you are probably telling them the truth. I'll give you an example of where someone would not be telling the truth. Let's say a degenerate loaded 10K onto BetMGM and bet on some games and lost and saw that his account balance went from $10,000 to 0.0. And the guy thinks, well, that sucks. I just lost $10,000 betting sports. And you know what? I can't really afford to lose $10,000 betting sports. It would really be nice if I could go back in time and not have made these bets, but of course I can't do that. I can't get that 10000 back. It's gone. Oh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if I say that I didn't really do this? What if I say somebody else did this in my name? Ha, 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 ha. And they call up their bank and say, hey, um, there was a $10,000 deposit to BetMGM, and I didn't do it. I have no idea how this happened, so can you give me the money back? So if the bank were to give it to you at that point, you will have committed fraud, of course, and you could go to jail for that. But if they give it back to you at that point, then you have gotten back the money you lost, even though you shouldn't get it back because you rightfully lost it. So what the bank wants to make sure is that when you're claiming that you didn't authorize this transaction that you really didn't authorize this transaction. But they don't put tremendous effort into this. They put some cursory effort into it and they'll put more effort for a larger amount of money. So like for $100, they'll pretty much give it back and not ask any questions. Uh, they'll ask a few questions, but they're not going to like look into it. For 10000 they take a little more time and look into what happened. I don't know exactly what they do, but what they don't do is they don't call the police. They don't call the FBI. And they don't do a lot of investigation to see who did it. 
They more do investigation to see if it's likely you did it. And provided that they believe that you did not and you were a legitimate victim of fraud, then they will give it back to you. So did I get the $10,000 back? Well, yes, but it wasn't as simple as I hoped it would be. But right now, yes, I do have the $10,000 back in case you're wondering. But that's not the main part of the story. I had a feeling right when I saw this that I'd get the money back. I wasn't 100% sure, but I thought it was pretty likely. And if I didn't, then I had some legal recourse at that point anyway. So I, I wasn't thinking that I was going to be out to 10 k forever. I thought maybe it'd take some time. But of course, the fact that it happened and trying to unravel what happened was going to be the big deal. So I reported to the bank and they took the report and it was all very standard. And I figured you know, it probably would result in me getting my money back. But that was just the very beginning. What do you think my next phone call was to? Now, I had to wait a little bit because I, I couldn't call everything in the middle of the night. Most things are not open in the middle of the night. The bank was, but most things were not. So during the day on November 8th, and it's funny because I didn't watch the election as closely as I otherwise would because I was doing all this so frantically on November 8th because this had just happened. It had happened weeks beforehand. I just hadn't noticed till November 8th. So who do you think my next call was to? It was not to the police. I had already called the bank. So who do I call next? Well... BetMGM, of course. BetMGM is the one who took the money from me. So I called BetMGM, and here was the problem. I got a foreign call center that does customer service for BetMGM. And the second I got that, I thought, oh, no, this is not going to be good because it is very hard to deal with foreign call centers for anything that's kind of outside the box, anything that's unusual. So what I wanted from them was just information. I wanted them to make sure to close these accounts that were doing this to me and to do their own investigation there. But I also wanted to know a lot for myself because remember, I was trying to figure out what happened, hopefully identify who did it, and hopefully protect myself from future incidents of this. I was also trying to figure out how much they had on me, whoever did this. You know, they seemed to have my bank account number. What else did they have on me? And what could I expect was going to happen next? So, of course, I was concern there as well. So I was really trying to figure all this out and I was going to need BetMGM to tell me things. And the more sympathetic a person is on the other end of the line in these type of situations, the more they're going to tell you. Because the truth is these companies don't want to tell you very much on the phone. And something I always found infuriating is when someone impersonates me and commits some kind of fraud against me and then I call up the company that the fraud was either... uh, committed through, or sometimes they're kind of defrauded because stuff is ordered in my name, or whatever it might be. You know, I've, I've had a number of these incidents over the years, nothing like $10,000, that's a new one on me, but, you know, when I've had my credit card number stolen and things like that, what is so frustrating is when you call the companies that things were purchased with, they're surprisingly uncooperative. So I'll tell them the whole story, I'm talking about it in general, not necessarily this time, You tell them the whole story, you tell them who you are, you give them your info, blah, 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 and then you ask them questions and they don't want to tell you anything. So you say, well, what do they buy using my credit card? Well, we can't tell you, sir. Why? It's a privacy violation. I go, wait, wait, a privacy violation? This was ordered in my name, right? Well, yes. Well, then whose privacy are they violating? Uh, The person who ordered it. (laughs) And I go, wait a minute, you're protecting the scammer? Well, you know, we don't know if it's really you. I go, okay, well, what do I need to do to prove I am? So like, it, it's very difficult because they just do not want to give out information that you don't already have. 
So if I knew what was ordered, then they'd talk to me about it. But like, you, it's very hard to get companies to tell you things, even if it was done in your name. And my position is, if things were ordered in my name using my money, I have a right to know what was ordered, where it was shipped, all the information on the account, if it was a fake account that was made. Like, I, I have a right to know all of this because it's supposed to be me. It is being done as me, so therefore I have a right to know. I don't have a right to know about somebody else who was defrauded, but I have a right to know about any fraud that was committed in my name. But they don't see it that way. And when you get foreign call centers, it's especially difficult to reason with them. Sometimes American call centers, you can eventually talk them into it because, you know, they, they think about it. They put themselves in your shoes. They realize how frustrating it is that you're a victim of this sort of thing. And sometimes they will help you and sometimes they'll even lightly violate the official company policy and tell you more than they're supposed to. But I knew foreign call centers are not going to do that. I knew they're just going to be robotic and tell me the absolute minimum. And, and that's what happened. So they didn't want to tell me much. And we got in this big standoff. I, I, this occurred to me through BetMGM. Through several phone calls, I was able to find out it was BetMGM West Virginia. They were willing to tell me that much. Now, I've never been to West Virginia. Never set foot in West Virginia in my life. I didn't know anything further besides BetMGM West Virginia did this. Well, from talking to them, they did give me some initial information after some prodding. They didn't do it right away, but after some prodding, I finally squeezed some information out of some reps at uh, BetMGM. I had to make a few different phone calls, but I found out that this was done by a fake account that was made in my name with my info on BetMGM, West Virginia, that on October 20th, not the 24th, because the, it showed up as the 24th on my statement, but that's because it takes a few th- days to hit the bank account. So on October 20th, someone created a phony account using my information on BetMGM, West Virginia. They used my name. They used my address. It was correct. They, I got them to read me this information. I gave it to them, and they verified that was the correct info. They had my social, and they had my date of birth. And they created a BetMGM account, and they used that account to deposit $10,000 from my bank account. That's where the theft took place. And then they didn't want to tell me anything further. They told me that they'll let their security team know, and they'll get in touch with me. I said, can I talk to the security team? No, we don't do that. We can't transfer you to security. We don't have a security that's customer facing on the phone, but uh, they will definitely email you very shortly and then you can arrange to talk to them. Did that ever happen? Nope. Never got to talk to BetMGM security. That was one of many broken promises along the way from various companies. But they wouldn't tell me anything more and they kept telling me that it's a violation of privacy. And I kept asking them again, whose privacy? The scammer's privacy? The scammer has no privacy that you need to respect when they have made an account in my name. I am the only Todd Wittellis in the United States and, in fact, the world. Definitely, I'm the only Todd Wittellis with my exact birth date. I offered to prove by sending my ID to show I am that Todd Wittellis. I was even offering to go to a notary if necessary to prove who I am. And I said at that point, they should tell me everything including the IP address of the person who set this up. And by the way, they used a fake email that was made to look like me, but it was not my email. But they wouldn't tell me what the email was at first. That was one thing they wouldn't tell me. Nor would they tell me the phone number the person used, which was not my number. 
So they used a different email and phone number than what was actually mine. But everything else was my real info. And they stole from my bank account, but they would not give me any further information about what happened, about what the account did, about where that money is. They wouldn't give me any of that. And I kept saying, guys, this is me. I have a right to know this. Well, sir, we can't. It's a privacy violation. I kept saying, whose privacy? Whose? The scammers? Tell me what violation of anyone's privacy we are committing right now for you telling me what was done with my account that was made in my name, with my social, with my date of birth. Tell me whose privacy is being violated here. Couldn't explain it. Sorry, sir. It's a violation of privacy. We can't tell you. I was, I was going crazy. And of course, it's a foreign call center. They can't transfer me to anybody in the U.S. I, I was tearing out my hair. Finally, after several phone calls, I got one foreign rep who, after again rebuffing my attempts to get this information, took some pity on me. So I'll give her credit. I got one good foreign rep here who at first was giving me the bullshit company line, sorry, we can't tell you, sorry, we can't tell you. And then she put me on hold and came back almost like a different person and started telling me things. So maybe she just kind of put it on hold and thought about it and said, you know what? I feel bad for this dude. (laughs) He got got ripped off for 10K. Let's help him. So she gave me some things she probably wasn't supposed to give me, but I was very, very grateful that she spent the time to do this and she probably wasn't supposed to. And that's when I started to make some progress. So she gave me the email address, which was an email address that was made to look like it would be me. It was an email address with my name in it, but of course it was not really me. Then a phone number, which was not mine, probably some kind of burner number in the 619 area code, which is San Diego. That number did not mean anything to me. They couldn't tell me whether or not that number was ever used to verify anything, but they gave me the number. They also told me that the $10,000 was deposited on the same day of account creation, October 20th, and that $7,500 was withdrawn from the account to a different account to a different bank account on the same day. And they never bet. They never played. They did nothing except deposit from my bank account and withdraw to a different bank account. That's all they did, which means they never had to set foot in West Virginia. They could have done this all from the comfort of their own home. Only thing you need to be in West Virginia for is to place bets, but this person did not bet. All on the same day, they made a new BetMGM West Virginia account. They deposited using my bank account, all in one shot, 10K. Then they withdrew 7500 to a different account. You may wonder which account that was. I'll tell you in a second, but they withdrew 7500 to a different bank account. And then two weeks later on November 4th, they withdrew the other 2500 to yet a different bank account, to a third account. I asked, what was the IP address? They didn't have that information, and they also said they weren't sure if they'd be able to tell me even if they did have it, but they didn't have it at the time, and it would have taken a lot of research, and that department couldn't do it, so for the moment, I gave up on the IP address. Now I had some more to go on. First of all, I was thinking, what the hell happened here? Like, how could BetMGM allow this? How could they allow someone all on the same day to put $10,000 from my bank account in there without any verification that it was really me 
and then even worse, to allow a withdrawal of 7500 on that same day of account, account creation to a different account of all things. I mean, shouldn't that just scream fraud? Let's think about this. Who would ever, if they're not committing some kind of fraud or money laundering, who would ever deposit $10,000 into a new sportsbook account and then the same day pull off 7500 of that without ever playing? Who would ever do that? And who would ever do that to a different bank account? It's one thing if they send it back to the original account. To a different bank account than they used to deposit all on the same day. Who would ever do it in that way if this is not some kind of fraud or money laundering? So the fact that this was allowed was shocking. This was incredibly negligent on the part of BetMGM. And let me tell you that not all of these regulated companies act this way. For example, in Nevada, they have stronger regulations about this. In Nevada, there is the opposite problem occurring. Not to me, but some years ago, John Mahaffey, who is a poker journalist and a gambling journalist in Las Vegas, John Mahaffey deposited some money on WSOP.com to play poker. He did play poker. He played for about two weeks, then decided he was kind of tired of it and wanted to take the money off. So he hit the withdraw button. He got an email saying that he's not allowed to withdraw because he has not played enough. And they claim that This is just the regulations that he can't do it. So they were probably hiding behind money laundering regulations. But the truth was they were in the wrong. He had definitely played enough and they were just trying to keep his money on there and get him to rake more. So eventually he got the money off, but he had a huge fight with them over it, a huge public fight. He's even threatened at one point he's going to be banned from all Caesar's properties because he was writing articles about it. The whole thing was a giant mess. But at least there, I will give them credit for not letting people just put on money and withdraw it right away. I mean, here was the opposite, where someone put on money, a lot of money, of mine, and withdrew it to a different account all in the same day, didn't play, and somehow this didn't raise any red flags. Just go right ahead. Go right ahead there. (sighs) I was shocked this could occur. I was shocked. How could they at least not verify that it was really me? Why were there no security checks here? And the funny thing is, even if this was really me, They shouldn't allow this because this could be money laundering. As I said, fraud isn't the only concern. These sites can be used for money laundering. So even when no one's being cheated, they have to be careful that their site is not being used to launder money. And this looks just like money laundering where someone puts money on a gambling site and withdraws to a different account all in the same day without ever playing. So why weren't they concerned about that? And especially why weren't they concerned about fraud? But nope, they just let it all happen. Then I asked them, well, can you explain how was my money actually taken? Who took it? Did you guys take it? Did a payment processor take it? Who took it? And who was responsible for making sure that it was actually me taking the money? Was it you guys? Was it the payment processor? So they told me, actually, it was the payment processor. We have a payment processor called Global Payments, and it's a service called VIP Preferred, I was told. And I was told that basically these are e-checks, which is just like writing a check, except you're not physically writing anything. You're doing it through the computer, but it functions the same as a check, where they are debiting money from your bank account as if a check was written, and it takes a few days to clear. That's why I saw it on my statement on October 24th, even though it was done on the 20th. So... VIP Preferred is the payment processor that they use, and it's operated by a company called Global Payments. That's who they use, Global Payments, and the service is called VIP Preferred for the e-checks. 
and that someone used VIP Preferred to take the 10000 out of my account. So I said, okay, well, how do I contact them? So they gave me the phone number for Global Payments to call and speak to them. So, of course, I was going to make that phone call next. And I said, okay, well, I have another question. Where did the money go? And they said, well, that was also done through an e-check the other direction. So they withdrawn 7500 and they withdrawn 2500 two weeks later, all with the account never playing. The account never played once. All of that withdrawal was also done through VIP Preferred at uh, Global Payments. So you need to speak to them to find that out. So, okay. They didn't have the IP addresses for me, but they gave me a lot there. So I thank that one person, the only one person in all of BetMGM who is cooperative. And it was a foreign uh, call center. So I got a good one finally, good employee there. And I took that information and I said, all right, well, I've got something. And I, I kept a file. I was filling information into my file so I can analyze all this later, figure out what's happening. So my next phone call was to Global Payments. I never called Global Payments before. So I called Global Payments. And yes, they said that their service was used to take that $10,000 out of my bank account on October 20th. And yes, that they processed a withdrawal for 7500 to a different account on October 20th. I asked them how they could have allowed this. I said, forget Ben MGM's lack security on this. How did you guys allow this? And they said, yeah, that's kind of strange, but apparently it was allowed. Now, you might wonder, why were my limits so high? Why was someone able to make a new account and just do a $10,000 e-check? Because keep in mind, an e-check is just like a regular check in that they can't really tell if I have the money to cover it. So what would stop someone who is basically broke from going on a site like BetMGM and doing a $10,000 e-check when in reality their checking account has $5 and then just hope to get away with it or maybe even hope to free roll it? So what would stop someone from doing that? Well, number one, it's a crime and they could be tracked down and get in trouble. It's like writing a bad check to the casino. But putting that aside, global payments is tasked with checking out each person the first time they want to do an e-check. So they ask for a lot of personal information on you. They ask for your name. They ask for your social. They ask for your date of birth. They ask for your address. They ask for a bunch of information. And then they will usually run a credit check on you. And then often they will have other information that's been collected on you from various sources. And they can put together a profile about your financial health and whether you're likely to screw them. So, for example, someone like me who has excellent credit, who doesn't have any kind of uh, black marks financially, and I'm 50 years old, so of course the fact that I've made it this far in life and maintained excellent credit and never screwed anyone over financially. When I say anyone, I mean a company, that there's no history of that. So at that point, it starts to look to them, and also from examining my credit limits and everything, they can see that I am a person who is good for it. So they will give me high limits. Whereas somebody with lousy credit, someone with low credit limits on their credit cards, someone whose financial records paint a picture of a person who really isn't good for the money, uh, they will not be given high limits. They'll be given very low limits until they kind of establish themselves with other deposits they can slowly move up. Now, keep in mind, this was not the first time I had dealt with global payments. Global Payments also processes the e-checks for WSOP.com. 
So whenever I played on WSOP.com, which goes back many years, and I wanted to deposit using an e-check. Initially, I didn't deposit using e-checks. I, I did it through a debit card. But eventually, the best way to do it was using an e-check. So I think the first time I did it through an e-check was 2018. And they put me through the ringer to check on me. And I remember this. They called me up. And they asked me a bunch of security questions about where I lived in such and such year and which counties have I lived in before. And kind of like identity questions where if it's you, you'll be able to answer correctly. And if it's not you, it's going to be hard to answer correctly. And they'll, they'll list people to me like of these four names, which ones do you recognize that you've associated with? So that, that's how they determine your identity. And it's a lot harder to impersonate someone that way. So they put me through all that, which is fine. I remember they actually made me send them a copy of a bank statement showing that I had more than $10,000 in it. They actually made me send in a bank statement, and I said, well, can I at least redact things in there that I don't feel are your business to see? You know, Because if I'm buying something like a double-headed dildo, I don't want them seeing that there in my bank statement. <laughs> I, I don't have anything like that in my bank statement, at least so I say. But I, I just don't like them invading my privacy in any way. I don't it's not their business to see what I'm buying and what I'm spending and who I'm sending money to and all that. Like I just don't like this being seen by third parties unnecessarily. So I said, "Can I redact my transactions?" They said, "Yes. We just want to basically see the balance." So I actually sent them the bank statement with the balance and with the transactions redacted at at my request. And so from all that they gave me some fairly high limits there. This is back in 2018. And again, you don't create a global payments account. You don't create a VIP preferred account. This is something they create for you to process your payments for their clients like WSOP.com. So that's the only reason I was dealing with them in the past was because they were processing the e-checks for WSOP.com. And if I wanted to get like 10K on there so I could play middle to high stakes, uh, that was the way I had to do it. So that's why I had dealt with them before. Now, immediately I was thinking, okay, well, this has got to be where the breach came from. Obviously, since I gave them all this information to check me out in the first place, including my bank account info, that someone must have stolen it from there. Someone who worked there must have stolen it from their database and then used it to impersonate me. Well, it's not quite so simple. I still think there's a good chance there was a breach on their end, but it didn't necessarily have to be a breach on their end. But I still feel they are very, very much at fault, very, very much at fault for what happened, even if there was no breach on their end because the security was beyond lax, as I'm about to explain. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out how this was pulled off. But they did say that because I used them in the past, because I used them in 2018, there was a profile of me in their system with my bank accounts in there. And this is not one of these things where it's like, hey, would you like to save your bank account with us? It just automatically saves your bank account when you use any bank account with them. So when I used a bank account for e-checks in the past, dating back to 2018, that was automatically stored in their system. And that was the same bank account where the money was stolen from in October 2022. So of course, I'm very suspicious that they have a lot to do with this at this point. I don't mean like the company itself decided to steal from me, but I had a lot of suspicions that maybe a rogue employee did it, or at the very least, there was some major security hole involving them because they processed the payments. But we weren't quite up to that yet. Then I said, okay, well, this withdrawal, can you give me that information? Can you give me the information of where this money was withdrawn to? No, it's a privacy violation to give this to you. (laughs) (sighs) Guys, guys, it's me. It's me, my date of birth, my social security number. 
I'm willing to do whatever the hell you want me to do to verify it's me. So why can't I know the account number that was used to get my money that was sent, quote, from me? It was sent in my name. It was my actual money that was stolen and then sent elsewhere to another account, which is supposedly in my name. Why can't you give me this information? No, we can't. It's, it's a privacy violation. You'll have to get a subpoena to get this. I go, a subpoena? You got to be freaking kidding me. I'm not doing a subpoena. That's showing me you're not cooperating. So I was getting real frustrated with global payments, telling me I need a subpoena to get this information. Well, finally, I, I was able to talk some of this information out of them. So they were willing to give me the last four digits of the bank account where it was sent and the name of the bank. That's all they would give me. They wouldn't give me the full bank account number, which is ridiculous because, again, they told me it was sent to a bank account in my name at a different bank. So right there, they should give me the whole account number, right? As long as they can authenticate they're really talking to me, which they can do because that's their expertise. They could put me through that whole check again to make sure it's really me or make me send them ID. I can hold my ID with... uh, uh, you know, whatever they want me to hold it with to show it's being taken on the same day. Like, there's a lot I could do to prove they're really talking to me. And at that point, they should give me everything. But nope, they're not giving me what I want. Uh, they finally gave me the last four digits of the bank account that it was withdrawn to and told me it was something called Bancorp. B-A-N-C-O-R-P. Bancorp. Do you have a Bancorp account? I bet you don't. Now, Bancorp, it, it kind of sounds like a bank, right? It's like a corporate bank, or does it sound like Bancorp? It sounds like something you believe you probably have heard of before, but in reality, you probably haven't. It's just kind of a familiar-sounding name because of bank and corp, but you probably, in reality, haven't heard of it. In reality, I hadn't heard of it. I kind of felt like I should know what Bancorp is, but I didn't really know what Bancorp was, and then when I Googled it, I figured out why I didn't know what it was, because... You don't just go to a Bancorp branch and open an account. Bancorp is actually a bank that does a lot of debit cards and a lot of credit cards and stuff like that for third parties. So you're not directly getting Bancorp accounts. They're just providing financial tools for third parties that don't have a way to do it themselves. So that's kind of left me with a lot of questions. Okay, so what is this account? What is this Bancorp account that was made in my name? Who made it? How do they make it? Where do I go from here? And it was very hard to reach Bancorp because you'd call up Bancorp and it would say to enter your account number. And of course, I don't have the account number. And then you can't just keep hitting zero to talk to someone. Eventually, it hangs up on you. So it took a lot of effort to even find a phone number where Bancorp answers the phone because the numbers they publicize, they don't answer the phone. So finally, I found a way to reach Bancorp And what did I get? I got a foreign call center. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I told them the whole story, and I said, what can you tell me, and what is this? And they said, well, we won't be able to tell you anything unless we have the full account number. I said, can't you look up my name with the last four digits of this account number and figure it out? No, no. We have no way to do that. Well, can't you look up my name and my social or my name and my date of birth? Nope. We have no way to do that. (laughs) They sounded like they wanted to help. They just had no way. 
Well, finally, after a few calls, someone gave me a tip. They said, what you need is not the last four digits. You need the first three. I said, the first three? What? The first three digits on a credit card are, or a credit card or a bank account are, are rarely anything that's useful. It's always the last digits. In fact, like on a credit card, all that does is state what kind of credit card it is or what kind of credit card it is and what bank it's associated with. So that's never specific to you for a credit card or a debit card. And even for a bank account, the first three digits aren't going to mean much. So it's usually the last digits that combined with your name are uh, what's used. So I was very surprised they wanted the first digits. I said, are you sure you want the first digits? They said, yes. So I said, okay, I'll try to get this out of global payments. I hung up and I thought to myself, why would they need the first digits? Like, is this person just confused? Are they just stupid? And I go, oh, I figured it out. Oh, I know why they want the first digits. Because, again, Bancorp provides payment tools and financial instruments for a lot of different companies. So the first digits will tell them which company it is and who I should speak to. That's why they want it. So I called up Global Payments. And again, I got the resistance. We don't want to tell you the first three digits. We can only give you the last four. I asked for a supervisor. I, I pressed and pressed and pressed. Well, the supervisor said, okay, well, here it is, and gave me the first three digits. Well, I looked up the first three digits, and I figured it all out. And uh, well, I, I started coming close to figure it out. It looked to me like this was some kind of debit card. And that what they did is they withdrew to some kind of debit card that can also act as a bank account. Because remember, this whole scheme that they did to deposit using my bank account doesn't do them any good unless they can get the money off. And they can't dump it anywhere because there's no poker on BitMGM. So they can't just sit down at a table and dump it to their friend or dump it to their own second account. When you're sports betting, it's between you and the house. So they need an exit strategy to get my money off. And since they can only withdraw two things in my name, and there's only certain ways they can withdraw, period, then they need a way to get the money off to an account in my name. And they need to have this in an account that they control, not me. Obviously, if they withdraw back to the same bank that it was deposited from, I'll just get my own money back. So that's not going to do them any good. They need to, it needs to be an account in my name that they control. So a debit card is perfect for that. What if they make a debit card somehow in my name, but they control it, and then they are able to withdraw to that debit card, which can double as a bank account? So that's exactly what they did. But what was this debit account, and who is actually managing it? Where did they get this debit card? Well, I was told it was PayPal. So I called up PayPal. I actually spoke to someone in the U.S. amazingly, and I spoke to a pretty competent guy who was really wanting to help me. So finally, I got someone who was very helpful aside from that one bit MGM rep. And this guy at PayPal spent some time with me, and he was making phone calls. And he was researching things. He, he was really doing a good job. He has, as, much of, as much trouble as I have with PayPal and their business practices and their stealing money from people and everything else that they're being sued for, via lead attorney Eric Benzamokin. They're, they're real scumbags with all that. But this one particular employee there was very helpful. Anyway, he told me that even though Bancorp told me that those first three digits were a debit card for PayPal, that there is no debit card created in my name. And in fact, there is no PayPal account in my name except for the one that I really have in control myself. 
Furthermore, there was no evidence that my actual PayPal account had been breached, nor was a debit card ordered for that account. So that account was pristine and untouched, and they saw no transaction with $7,500. They saw none of this on PayPal, and sorry, we want to help you, but we can't. However, however, near the end of the phone call, as we're exhausting all possible options, the guy goes, wait a minute, I see something. Now, it's not on PayPal, but remember, we own Venmo. PayPal does own Venmo. And I see a Venmo account. I go, no, 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 I have a Venmo account, I told him. He said, no, 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 I see two Venmo accounts, one of them which was created on, yes, you guessed it, October 20th. Uh Uh-oh, my Venmo account goes back years. But a second Venmo was made in my name on October 20th, and the guy was not able to get the full history. It's too bad because he would have told me anything. This guy was very cooperative. But he said that PayPal can only see some stuff at Venmo, even though they're the same company. But he's able to see that this account was made October 20th. And he was able to give me the name, which is my name, the address, which is my address, the date of birth, which was my date of birth. Like, like that same info that was given to Global Payments uh, was made for Venmo. I don't know if they use my social or not, but it was also made with that same email address and same phone number that they used for BetMGM. So definitely the same guy. I go, okay, well, you sure there's nothing more you can get here? He said, no, I can't access that much. I can't see any transactions or anything like that. I can just tell you that this account exists and there's the info on it. So I thanked him and I called up Venmo. Well, Venmo, I got a foreign call center and they... Again, we're fighting with telling me things. But finally, again, I got someone who was willing to tell me some stuff. A guy in a foreign call center, but at least he told me some stuff. So this is what happened. They created a Venmo account, a second Venmo account for me on October 20th. And on October 20th, what they did was they also ordered a debit card in my name connected to that account, which I guess you get instantaneously. You don't have to wait for it to show up in the mail. Otherwise, it would come to me because it was under my address. But uh, they got a Venmo debit card, which I, I guess they get the phone, the account number immediately so they can use it online. And then they used it on BetMGM as a withdrawal method. So that's what showed up as Bancorp. It was actually the Venmo debit MasterCard. And it was sent over to that, 7500 was sent over to that, and then the money was shipped over to another Venmo account. I said, okay, well, was the other Venmo account it was shipped to from my fake Venmo account, was that also in my name, this this third account? No, it was not, I was told. Okay, well, can you tell me who it was shipped to? No, we can't. <laughs> nor could they tell me the IP address used. They just wouldn't give it to me. But they would tell me that what happened was on October 20th, they were shipping the money, and that also the account got auto-suspended for fraud suspicion. So I guess they're better at catching fraud than BetMGM and Global Payments, but unfortunately money had already been shipped out. I said, okay, well, can I speak to the security team? Sorry, you can't talk to security, but they will email you. By the way, I got no email from them. No email from anybody. Nobody contacted me like they promised. BetMGM promised. Global Payments promised. 
Venmo promised to have their security team get a hold of me. I gave them all the info to contact me, my phone number, my email. They did not. They did not contact me. So at least I figured out the whole scheme. At least now I had understood the how. Now, I didn't completely understand, but I was close. The one thing I didn't know was whether they had my bank account or if they had just some way to debit from it without the full bank account. I thought they probably had my bank account and had maybe accessed the global payments database, maybe if someone had worked there. Well, thanks to a person who registered to the forum named Dizzy, I was able to put the rest together. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself before we get to Dizzy. I still hadn't seen any evidence that anybody else had this occur to them. But that all changed. That all changed. Because finally somebody came forward that something very, very similar happened to them and also through BetMGM. And that would be Joseph Chiang, poker pro, poker pro Joseph Chiang, had this occur to him as well. And unlike me, Joseph Chiang did not keep quiet about it. See, remember, I did radio on November 13th, five days after I noticed this had happened to me, and I said nothing. Five and a half days had passed, and I put a lot of effort into investigating this, but at the time, nobody yet had come forward to say this happened to them. So I was still keeping it quiet. I was pretending like it was all fine. And if you go listen to me on radio, I'm not acting like someone who just had 10K jacked out of his bank account and a victim of identity theft. Like I wasn't acting that way. I was acting completely normal because I didn't want the scammer to know if it was someone who maybe listened to this show or read the forum or anybody else who knew me. I didn't want them to know that I was on to them and I was trying to figure out who they were. So I was pretending like it was all normal, but it was anything but normal in the background. Anyway, that all changed on November 15th, a week later from when I discovered it. Joseph Chiang tweeted this. I got debited via e-check for $9,800 a little over a week ago by BetMGM somehow. I don't even have an account. Seems other poker players have also been hit by this scam. Highly recommend players to check their checking accounts just in case. Well, then some people responded in the thread and said they were hit as well, such as Kaina England, Sam Panzica, David Bach, who, by the way, listens to this show, David Bach. So, hello to you, David. But they came forward, as did some other people, all of whom were at least semi-known names in poker. It ranged between very well-known names and semi-well-known as far as who came forward at first, who was victimized. Some of them came forward privately to me. Because what I did was I immediately responded and said, okay, well, time to go public with this. This happened to me too. And I've been investigating behind the scenes and I already have a lot of information. So I said, I'm going to do a full write-up on this. Please stand by. And then I did. And I said, anyone who is hit with this, please let me know. And I want to compile a list of victims, compile the amount stolen from each victim and the manner that it was stolen and see what we can figure out. I was trying to get as much info as possible to then put together to figure out what was happening, who was doing it, how they were doing it, and all of that. So I had a number of people contact me, including some very big names in poker, bigger than anyone I mentioned so far. And they never went public this happened to them, so I'm not going to name these people. 
Since then, some very big names in poker did come forward, like uh, Phil Galfond was one of them, and Chance Cornuth was one of them. So uh, they've come forward after that. But at the time, on November 15th, there were some people who came to me who were quite big names in poker, but they were PMing it to me and not posting publicly on Twitter. So I, I didn't even bother to ask them. Like, I could have asked, can I say your name? But I'm thinking, okay, if they wanted to say this publicly, they would. But instead, they're coming to me privately, so I'm going to respect their privacy, and I'm not going to say their names. Even, even though it'll make the story more sensational, I'm going to keep it quiet and only mention the people who have been public on Twitter that this has happened to them. So the, the names I mentioned to you, like uh, Kinda England, Joseph Chiang, Sam Panzica, David Bach, they, they all came forward on Twitter and said, yes, this happened to me. That's why I'm naming them right now. And same with later, like Phil Galfond. So anyway, then it was pretty clear to me that this was a scam not aimed just at me, but aimed at poker pros. I did notice from asking people the dates on their statements and all of that, that I was the earliest victim by what seemed to be a wide margin. It seemed like everybody I was talking to got hit November 1st or later, and mine was October 20th. So my first thought was, oh, no, this is probably someone who listens to my show. It's probably someone who listens to my show who decided to do this, decided to hit poker players, and decided to hit me first. I don't know if like a middle finger to me or just because they figured I would have the money. I, I didn't know. Maybe they just wanted to hear my reaction on radio when they do it. I, uh, it was obviously a financially motivated scam since they were hitting all these poker players. But... Since I seem to be the first one hit, I thought it has to be someone who knows of me pretty well that I would be chosen first. And it made me feel shitty, even though I can't control who listens to the show. So you can have like the biggest scumbags in the world listening to this show, and I have absolutely no way to stop that. They can go listen on the many platforms that we're on, and even if I had their IP address, I couldn't stop them because they could uh, listen to their heart's content through these platforms. So really... Whoever listens to this show is something I absolutely cannot control. So in that way, I can't feel bad. But still, if it's someone who listens enough to want to victimize me first, I'm thinking, yeah, that just kind of sucks that of all the people in poker to be appealing to listen to, it's me, and then they're doing this to people. It's like, it's not my fault. It just made me still kind of feel shitty. However, it turned out I was not the first victim. Two people came to me eventually. I'm not going to name them that were earlier victims than me, one of them, in fact, was hit on October 5th, two weeks before me. So that made me feel a little bit better. October 5th was the earliest date that I found this happened to anybody. So I was one of the first ones, but I was not the first one. And in fact, the first one was two weeks prior to mine. So pretty unlikely this was aimed at me personally, but still whoever did it thought of me as a person to hit. Now you might wonder, why would they choose me? Wouldn't I be a bad person to choose for exactly the reason that you're listening to right now, that I'm doing this show about it, that I jumped into investigation mode and had figured out a lot about it pretty quickly? Why would you do this to somebody who clearly has the experience and capability to investigate these things on his own and also the drive to do it? Why would you ever hit someone like me who is likely to put a lot of effort into figuring out what you did and who you are and try to go after you legally for it. Like, why would you ever do that to someone like me? Why wouldn't you hit someone who's just some 
kind of sleepy poker pro who's just going to go, oh, well, this kind of sucks. Let's see if I can get the money back and then drop it. That's what you want to hit, not someone like me who's going to make a crusade out of it and also has the experience and expertise to figure these things out. So I still don't have the answer to that. I still don't know why they chose me among all these people, why they didn't just skip me, because this would obviously get me more interested in solving it if it happened to me. And yes, I do have more drive to solve this because I was a victim. And as you'll hear later in the show, I solved something for someone else unrelated to all this that had nothing to do with me just because I felt it was the right thing to do. So I will solve things for other people, and that's what Poker Fraud Alert is all about. But I will say I have extra drive, and I will put extra time into it and extra effort into it if I am personally victimized. And that's the same way I behaved regarding the absolute poker and UB scandals because I was victimized by them as well. So when I'm a victim of fraud... I have really the extra drive to really get the thing solved. So I did a whole write-up about this on November 15th, same day that Joseph Cheong tweeted about this. He tweeted at 11.15 a.m. I saw it not that long after that. By 4.50 p.m. that same day, Pacific time, I had a long write-up about it, which was on the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum. You can still see it. It's up there. It's always going to be up there. It's called Fraudster Stole Up to $10,000 Each from Poker Pros, Likely Due to a Legalized Betting Payment Processor Breach. I was one of the victims. That's the name of the thread. At the time I first created the thread, I was still of the belief that my banking information was stolen from global payments somehow. I wasn't 100% sure, but it all made sense to me. I gave it to global payments, and I gave them my social, and I gave them everything that they had to create these phony accounts on BetMGM in my name. And it would have made sense that someone with access to that info that I gave Global Payments four years ago would be able to impersonate me and do exactly what they did. So that was my belief at the time. But someone showed up on the forum named Dizzy. And it's funny because Dizzy has been making some other posts now unrelated to this. I think Dizzy might enjoy the forum now. So... I don't know if Dizzy listens to the show, but if you're listening, Dizzy, hello, I'm glad you showed up. But Dizzy pointed out something very, very interesting that I hadn't really noticed yet because I'm not a person who uses BitMGM. So I had no reason to notice this, but he did because Dizzy was someone who does use BitMGM and he uses several legalized gambling platforms. So what Dizzy pointed out was that the fraudster did not need my banking information because Global Payments saves your banking information. And if you create an account on BetMGM in somebody else's name with their correct information, then as soon as you go click VIP Preferred to go make an e-check deposit, Global Payments will fill in the banking information for you from what it saw before. And they won't do anything to verify. That is a disaster with a capital D. So Global Payments puts you through the ringer the first time to verify who you are and for them to check your credit and for them to demand bank statements if you want high limits and all that. They make sure to go through a lot of stuff to make sure that you're really good for the money and that you're who you say you are. They're doing all the know your customer stuff that they need to do and more the first time you ever use them. But once you're already established, like I was at WSOP.com, 
then they figure, well, he already went through that. So if we see him on another site and we process for that other site too, rather than putting him through a whole new customer process again, we'll just say, oh yeah, we already know you. And not only let you deposit without going through a lot of checks, but they'll actually give you a drop down with your bank account information right there. Basically saying, okay, hi, Todd, nice to see you again. Which bank account would you like to deposit from? Pick from this list. (laughs) Like, that's really what they did. That's really what they did. So all this person needed to do, the fraudster, was get my last four of my social, not even my full social, the last four of my social and my date of birth. All they had to do was go on to BetMGM and go on to BetMGM that I had not used before. So that's why they chose West Virginia. They figured a guy in California and Nevada wouldn't likely have made a BetMGM West Virginia account, and they're correct. I did not. So they made a new account on BetMGM West Virginia. All they needed to provide was my name, my address, my last four, my social, my date of birth. They gave a phony email and phony phone number, which apparently didn't matter. And they went and clicked on VIP Preferred. And it gave them a drop down to pick which bank account they want to deposit from. And there it was. There is the bank account that I've used to deposit to WSB.com right there in the drop down. They only see the last four digits, but they don't need to see the whole bank account because they have the drop down. They just select it right there. Okay, Todd, where would you like to deposit from? Oh, well, let's pick this bank account I used before. Okay, here you go. How much would you like to deposit? 10000 Okay, there you go, Todd. 10000 now in your bed MGM West Virginia account. Then same day, hey, I'd like to withdraw. Global Payments is like, okay, sweet, no problem. Where would you like to send it? Back to this bank account in the dropdown, or would you like to add a new bank account? No, I'd like to add a new bank account. Okay, enter the bank account number. So you enter the Venmo debit MasterCard that was just created. Enter that. Okay, no problem. We don't need to put you through any verification. Here you go. Here's your 7500 to this Venmo debit MasterCard. Done. Never had to play. Never had to even wait. Never had to verify anything. All they needed was my name, last four of my social, date of birth, make a fake account of my name, and VIP Preferred at Global Payments does the rest for them and gives them a drop down to steal from my bank account. Can you believe that shit? And then lets them withdraw to a different bank account on the same freaking day. That's what they did. This is not speculation. This is what they did. That's how they stole from me and got the money off. Now, I don't know why they couldn't take the entire 10K off at the same time. Maybe they it was going to create some kind of checks at that point. Maybe it was someone who knew the global payment system well and knew what would trigger an identity check and what wouldn't. So they did 7,500 and then two weeks later, 2,500. But that's what they did. Never verified me in any way. So this person really didn't need much information about me to do this. They didn't need my bank account. They didn't even need my full social. Just my last four. And my date of birth. That's it. Unbelievable. So that's what they did to everybody. Not just me. That's how they hit Joseph Chiang. That's how they hit Kinda England. That's how they hit Phil Galfon. That's how they hit uh, David Bach and Sam Panzica. And Kathy Liebert, who was hit by this. So many poker pros were hit by this. And this is how they did it to all of them. There is a question of where did this information come from on all these poker pros? Do you know Kathy Liebert's last four of her social? If I asked you to get it, would you really know how to do that? It's a good chance you wouldn't. It's not that easy to do, especially for all these different players. 
So there is the big question of where they got this personal info, even though it's not extensive personal info. It's still not super available personal info that they got somehow. Maybe there is something in the dark web, which was such a uh, massive list that they were able to buy that it had enough people on there to where they were able to look up poker pros there and see if they were on that list. And if they were, they were able to use this information, or maybe they just picked it right out of the global payments database and had access to that. Who knows? I don't know what way they got the information. I still suspect there was some kind of intrusion or rogue employee at global payments, but that hasn't been established yet. So I can't say that for sure. But what I can say for sure is that global payments was extremely negligent in allowing this to be done. How could they let this happen? How can they just give them a drop down with my bank account because they enter that very basic information to BetMGM? Now, does BetMGM get off the hook here? No, 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 no. BetMGM screwed up big time too. Why is BetMGM letting someone withdraw on the same day without ever playing, without doing any kind of verification? Why are they not doing any verification for any kind of withdrawal? Now, BetMGM can't see that it's going to a different account. That's managed by global payments. But why are they letting someone deposit 10K on the same day of the account creation and withdraw 7,500 without ever playing, without going, hmm, something's wrong here. Maybe we better not allow this until we see what's happening. No one did that at BetMGM for me or for any of the other victims. So they were extremely negligent as well. There is no excuse for any of this. There's no excuse for a drop-down to be there for my bank account if someone impersonates me with just basic personal info with no verification. Just because I've used global payments before for other sites, that should mean that they just get carte blanche access to my bank account if they impersonate me with basic info. It's crazy. So crazy that global payments is doing this and crazy that BetMGM allowed this to happen in the first place. Massive negligence on the part of both both companies. Most of the people who were hit with BetMGM. Borgata, which is associated with BetMGM, was used as well. The fraudster created a BetMGM West Virginia account in my name on October 20th. Then on November 7th, they created a BetMGM Pennsylvania account, but were unable to fund it because it had hit the deposit limits, I guess, for the month and it hadn't been enough time. Then they tried a Borgata account on November 9th. This is actually after I discovered what had been going on. And I caught that one very fast by making phone calls and they closed it. So they never stole from me using the Pennsylvania or the Borgata accounts, but there were three fake accounts made in my name. And the first one stole the 10K from me. So BetMGM was used for most people, Borgata for some, but that's still BetMGM associated. But then there was... A third entity used, there's a third entity used to steal from people that was not done to me. But this was Viejas Casino in California. Viejas Casino is a casino on Indian land. It's an Indian casino in California. It's in the greater San Diego area. And you might wonder, why would they even be using global payments? Because there is no legalized online gambling in California. So how could Viejas even figure into this? Well, apparently Viejas has a cashless gambling system where you can load up a card beforehand and then come gamble with it. So let's say you don't want 
to drag $5,000 into Viejas to gamble. Maybe you, you don't want to be mugged on the way in or the way out. You, you just like to bring a card in and then use that to get casino chips and then cash out back to the card and then withdraw from the card back to your bank account. So it's called cashless gaming, and they offer it at Viejas Casino. And guess which company processes the payments to and from the card for Viejas Casino? Yes, of course, global payments with that VIP preferred. So whoever was doing this knew that Viejas uses global payments, which is very interesting because I would never think of Viejas. If I were to be running this scam, let's say someone gave me this scheme and say, hey, this will work. You can just use this very basic personal info and impersonate someone and then withdraw out of their account they've used before through global payments, and then you can cash out to a different card on the same day without ever playing. So that's the scheme. Go ahead and do it, Todd. Now, I, of course, wouldn't do that. I wouldn't steal from people, but let's say I was willing to. I would tell you that I would not think of Viejas as something to use to commit the thefts. I would never think of Viejas because they're in California. I would not think of Viejas as something that would have a contract with global payments to do this. It just wouldn't come to mind. So whoever did this is either familiar with Viejas itself or it is someone who is familiar with global payments and knows that Viejas is one of their customers. I have to guess it's the latter. So Viejas was used as well. They like to use Viejas for people who are outside of California and Nevada, someone in the East Coast or someone pretty far away from the West Coast. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to create accounts that people likely didn't have so they don't run into a duplicate situation, and then that can raise some red flags. So that's why they didn't use Viejas for me, because of my California address. So they figured I may have already done this at Viejas. So they did West Virginia and Pennsylvania, BetMGM, and Borgata, New Jersey. So they figured those were less likely for me to have made sportsbook accounts. And it's true, I, I did not make sportsbook accounts at any of those in those states. So they were basically doing it wherever it was fairly far from where the person lived. But Viejas was used to steal from a number of people. But it was all, to my knowledge, done through Viejas, BetMGM, and Borgata. I haven't seen any others that were done in that way. Well, once Dizzy brought up this security flaw, I tried it for myself. I I couldn't just take Dizzy's word for it, even though Dizzy seemed to be well-meaning enough. I didn't know him. He just kind of appeared on the forum. He registered after I brought all this up on Twitter. He registered on Poker Fraud Alert to post about this. And Dizzy mentioned his experience and how he had seen how easy it was to create these accounts and to withdraw immediately from a bank account you used before. He said he was surprised when he was first able to do it, even though it wasn't fraud against him, it was him actually doing it, that he was surprised how easy it was when he went onto a new sports book that his payment info was right there and there was no verification done. So he said that's how he thinks it was done, and he was right. So I went and did a test myself. I did a test myself and proved it. So I went and made a BetMGM account New York. I didn't have one there either. I never had any BetMGMs, and the scammer hadn't yet done New York either. So I went and created a BetMGM New York account using only my name, my address, my date of birth, and my last four. And the phone number, I just put a fake phone number down. And for the email address, I put an email that was valid but wasn't one I ever used before. I wanted to make sure it wasn't 
using my email or anything to look this up. Well, sure enough, it wasn't. Sure enough, when I went to deposit, right there it gave me the VIP preferred option that's run by Global Payments. I clicked on it and it said my limits were $10 to 25000 and how much would I like to deposit and which account would I like to use? And it had a dropdown of accounts to choose from, which there were three things on that dropdown. There was my actual bank account and then there were the two debit cards from Venmo that were on there too because they were used to withdraw so they were part of it now too. So I could pick from one of those three to deposit. That's how he did it. It's right there. I proved it. It was Disney's idea, so credit to him. But yeah, that's how it was done. I replicated it. I didn't actually deposit. In fact, I couldn't because I had BetMGM lock the accounts or any accounts made in my name that it wouldn't be able to do. And I think also I had hurt. I uh, I also was over the limit, it said. It said, uh, you've gone over your VIP preferred deposit limit. But aside from that, it was right there to do. And I took screenshots and posted it on the Poker Fraud Alert thread. Interestingly enough, even though my limit was up to 25000 and they had stolen 10000 it said I was over limit, but it might be because I already reported this to Global Payments, so I think they may have frozen it. I think the only reason they stole 10k instead of more than 10k, I didn't quite have 25000 in that account, but I had a lot more than 10. I had between 10 and 25. I think the reason that they did 10 is it was probably the maximum they could do without maybe raising some additional security checks, which again suggests that it's someone very familiar with Global Payments. But yeah, I duplicated it right there. That's how it was done. 100% that's the way it was done. How they got the personal information, like the social, last four of the social, I don't know. Maybe it was from global payments, maybe it wasn't. But for sure, that's how they did it. Using this gaping security hole on the part of BetMGM, Viejas, and global payments. That's what happened. Anybody who made an e-check deposit on a legalized gambling site is vulnerable to be hit. Now, they've made some changes since then, which I'll get to in a little bit. But at the time, anybody, not just me, not just the main poker pros that were hit here, but anybody was vulnerable to be hit if they used this VIP preferred in the past because it was very easy to impersonate them and then just deposit using that dropdown. So there were two ways to prevent this. Number one, you can call up global payments VIP preferred and ask them to delete your bank account information. Unfortunately, there is no way to do this online because there's no actual account you can log into for global payments, but you can call them during business hours and remove this banking information, which I would suggest you do at this point because global payments is not handling this stuff very well. Their phone number is 800 500 Actually, I guess it's uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you can call up any time of the day or night, and I would suggest you remove any bank account information they are holding for you so this can't happen to you. That's number one. Also, a way you can stop this is any account you use with global payments, you can just close that bank account. Now, be careful if you close your bank account not to do it as a fraud closure. Whether you are a victim of fraud or not, do not do this as a fraud closure where they open up another account in its place. Because guess what they will do at the bank? If you do it that way, then any other e-check that gets put through against your account will transfer over to the new account. (laughs) 
And I went through this before, six years ago, when someone stole checks at the post office. Actually, at the post office, not out of my mailbox, but actually at the post office, someone stole checks that I had mailed and then made some, like, Target debit cards out of it and stole, like, $200 from me through Target. This is, again, like, 2016. So, anyway, I already went through this, and when I was talking to the bank, they're telling me, oh, yeah, well, any charges that are going against your account, uh, we'll put through. I go, no, 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 that's the whole reason I'm changing accounts, so this won't happen. Oh, well, don't worry about it, sir. We already have it on record that you were defrauded, so if it happens again, just let us know. We'll take it off. (laughs) And I said, no, no, that's idiotic. The whole point of changing accounts is I don't have to hassle with this. So I don't have to worry about money being stolen out of my bank account and wait for you to reimburse me. The whole point is to have an account the fraudster does not know and cannot charge. And it was so hard to convince them to not transfer it over. And they're like, sir, you don't understand. If you have auto pay for your electric bill and your phone bill, you know that's not going to work anymore. You're going to have to set it up again. I go, okay, I'll set it up again. I will re-enter the information on all the sites I need to. Do not transfer over any kind of debit against that account. I want the account completely closed, and I want any attempt to debit from it to just bounce back and not hit my new account. Well, but sir, what if you've written some checks? I go, no, anything that is trying to take money out of my account should fail, and I will give the new information to the companies that need it. And everybody else should get a bounce back where they cannot charge against it. It was so hard. I I was physically in the branch. This is six years ago. And arguing, arguing, arguing. These idiots are trying to tell me that this is the standard way of doing things, that it's on record I was defrauded. Don't worry. They'll give me the money back if it happens again. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Absolutely not. I'm changing accounts so this won't happen again. So these fraudsters can't hit me a second time. So finally, after... A lot of arguing, a lot of aggressive arguing. They backed down, and they treated me like I was crazy. They're like, I don't, I don't understand, sir. Why, why is this so necessary? Like, uh, you know, as we, we're going to reimburse you. What's the problem here? Everybody does it like this. Like, I don't want to do it like this. It's a dumb way to do it. So they finally made a new account for me and did not attach anything to the old account. So what I suggest is that you don't go to your bank if you're going to close it for this reason. And you don't have to bother to do this if you never used VIP Preferred, if you never did e-checks through these legalized gaming sites, then you don't have to worry about it. But if you have and you want to protect yourself from this, either have it removed from VIP Preferred by calling the number I gave you or go to your bank or you can even do this over the phone. uh, Have them just outright close the account. Do not have them close it and create a new one in its place. And then what you should do is create a separate one on your own in its place. In fact, you can already do that before you even close the first one. So just go create a new account, just like it, which you can usually do online, by the way. And then just close the first one and have the money transferred over to the new one. And that will protect you from it. Do not actually do a closure where they're replacing the account or otherwise uh, the fraudster can hit you again. I have no idea why they do this, why they do this courtesy transfer. Oh, we only do it for 90 days. I don't want it for 90 days. The first 90 days is when I'm most likely to be hit again. <laughs> we only do it for 90 days. you got to be freaking kidding me. So that's a dumb policy. So I keep telling people don't do what they call a fraud closure or anything like that. Actually close it completely and then open up a totally separate account. It can be the same bank, but open up a new account and do not associate it with the other one at all. 
So that's what I did. Those are some things you can do to uh, protect yourself. And I put this all out there. And it got a lot of engagement, which you would expect because there were a lot of poker pros who were victims. So it wasn't just me. Even if it were just me, it would get some attention. But it got a lot of attention because it had a lot of victims. I advised people to retweet this for awareness, and they did. So eventually, hundreds of thousands of people saw my tweet. And I can see that through the Twitter analytics, that hundreds of thousands of people saw my tweet about this. And they read what I wrote about it on Poker Fraud Alert. And this kind of made me the go-to guy for dealing with this. In fact, I said I want to be the go-to guy. I said, contact me. I gave out the 775-372-8355 text number that's also for this radio show for people to text me if they were victims and discuss it with me, and people did. So I became the go-to guy that people were contacting and telling me about what happened to them and how it happened and answered my questions. And also, this got attention in media. So I'll tell you the type of media that gave it attention. First, poker media. So a number of different poker sites, that uh, poker media sites, covered this. And you can see this very simply by Googling Todd Witellis BetMGM. And you will see a bunch of articles. Casino.org, Gambling.com, HighStakesDB.com, LegalGambling.com, TightPoker.com, PokerNews.com, Poker.org. In fact, I think they were the first one. I think it was Haley Hintz who wrote it. And various others. Even some affiliate sites have grabbed onto this. Laughably, even one affiliate site that I accused of scamming in the past grabbed onto this and wrote an article about me and called me a longtime winning professional player or something like that. <laughs> like it, it spoke very glowingly about me, even though I've called them out before. But anything to get clicks, I guess. So that was immediately covered pretty fast by Poker Media. By the way, guess which site did not cover this at all? Card Player. And I don't know why. Card Player did not cover this whatsoever. And I don't think it's against me, though the Shulmans don't love me because I called them out because they took Lock Poker ads long after Lock Poker was known to be a scam, and I was very upset about that, and I was giving them a hard time about it, so they don't love me very much for that reason. But I have been covered a number of times on Card Player, so it's not like they have some kind of rule against mentioning me. And of course, they could do an article without mentioning me, but for some reason, they're just staying away from it. So I don't think it has to do with me. I think that Card Player is maybe not covering it because they don't want to piss off BetMGM. I, I don't know, because they have a lot of affiliate stuff on there. Very interesting that Card Player has ignored this completely. I cannot find it anywhere in CardPlayer.com. But pretty much every other site that does uh, poker news, uh, Vegas Slots Online, which does a lot of poker news, they covered it. Cards Chat covered it. All, all the main ones that usually get your poker news from covered it. And they all mentioned me because I'm really the, the main guy here. I'm the main guy who's been bringing this forth. I was one of the first victims. I was the one who did all the investigating before anyone else did. I'm the one who had the whole story before anyone else did, minus the stuff that Dizzy later added. So thank you to Dizzy. But I, I've been the one bringing the info. I've been the one doing the investigating. I was one of the early victims. I run Poker Fraud Alert anyway, so I'm kind of a natural to be doing this in the first place. So every site that's been covering this has mentioned me. 
But then it started to extend past poker media. Then ESPN covered it. Now, why would ESPN cover it? Yes, the World Series of Poker used to be on there, but they don't even carry the World Series anymore. Well, ESPN covers a lot of things, and one of the things they cover is gambling. So the gambling reporter of ESPN contacted me and interviewed me about it, and I thought to myself, oh boy, when this article drops on ESPN, that is going to be a big deal. That is going to really get the attention of these companies, which were still kind of trying to sweep this under the rug. Now, by this point, I had already spoken to a few people at the BetMGM, uh, not at BetMGM itself, but at like an adjacent portion of uh, BetMGM, something that's kind of associated with it, but not directly is BetMGM. So I spoke to some people there, and I still hadn't spoken to anyone meaningful at Global Payments or at Venmo. So still, I hadn't been contacted enough like I should have. And still, security teams never contacted me. And that to this day, that's still true. They were just starting to take notice as these poker media sites were covering it and asking them for comment. So they were realizing this isn't going to go away. By the way, I was begging. I was begging when I talked to them on November 8th to let me speak to their security departments and let's solve this and let's figure this out. And the idiots wouldn't let me do it. They just wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't get in contact with me. They were dismissing me. They were trying to protect the information that the scammers used. I mean, it was insane. This could have been somewhat prevented because a lot of this happened after November 8th. It wasn't all before November 8th. Some of it was before November 8th, but a lot of it was after. So these idiots could have stopped it if they just would freaking talk to me, but they were trying to dismiss me. Very poorly handled. But anyway, this started to get too big to ignore. As I said, my tweet had hundreds of thousands of impressions by then. It had a lot of retweets, a lot of likes. So people were seeing it. But I knew once ESPN published an article, then these companies were really going to have to pay attention because that's the last thing they want is for their companies to be seen as liable or culpable for money being stolen directly out of the bank accounts of poker pros. Like, how awful does that look? You're, you're, supposed, to be feel, you're supposed to feel safe when you're using these legalized and regulated sites. Oh, don't, don't play on Bovada. Don't play on Bet Online. They're offshore and unsafe. Use up. We're, we're safe. We're safe, everybody. Yeah, not so much. So once the ESPN article dropped, I knew that this was going to become a bigger deal. And indeed, it did. A week ago, on November 19th, in the morning, my phone was ringing off the hook. And it was from one phone number, one phone number in the Vegas area, frantically trying to call me. And that was Global Payments. Why was Global Payments trying to call me? Well, I'm sure you can guess. Global Payments was very upset about this article on ESPN, which was released on November 18th, 2022. Global Payments is a publicly traded company, as is MGM Resorts, of course, that owns BetMGM as is another company that is going to be involved a little bit later that I haven't even gotten to yet. This is a second portion to this entire scandal that we haven't even touched yet. But this article was published on November 18th, and I was directly interviewed by the writer of this article, so I knew it was coming, but I didn't announce it. I let the article come out, and another one's coming, by the way, not from ESPN. I mean, they may do another one too, but 
Another one is coming, very likely, from more major media, a bigger source of mainstream media than ESPN. So enjoy, guys. That's what, that's what you get for ignoring me. That's what you get for not letting your security talk to me and solving this when it happened and jumping on it and solving it and working to put an end to this and identify the perps and cooperate with me and stop protecting the freaking scammer and refusing to cooperate with the police detective who was investigating because I did go to local police with everything I researched and I gave him everything I had and they weren't being particularly cooperative with him either. They weren't refusing directly to cooperate, but they, uh, uh, they weren't being very responsive. And uh, I'll get to in a second what I was told by uh, Global Payments about their level of cooperation. But anyway, they should have jumped into massive cooperative mode with me instead of treating me like an adversary because I didn't want to be an adversary. But they treated me like an adversary. They treated me like a, a hassle. So ended up on ESPN. Good job, guys. And you know what? Everything written on ESPN was the truth. Everything was the truth. It's unflattering. It's probably not going to instill a lot of confidence in global payments, gaming solutions, or BetMGM. But it's the truth. It's what really happened. And I can prove it. So tough luck. I had someone ask me, are, are you worried that uh, these big companies are going to sue you for saying this? I said, sue me for what? I'm the victim here. I can prove $10,000 was stolen out of my bank account on October 20th, and BetMGM was the tool used to do it, and they did not attempt to verify that the person doing it was me, and they had a gaping hole that allowed it to happen. So I'm stating that is what happened, and that is what happened, and that's my right to state, and if it reflects poorly upon them, that's their own tough luck. But they were uncooperative with me too. So yeah, I didn't go to ESPN. ESPN actually came to me. I didn't look for ESPN to publish this, but I did seek out to make this public so everyone would be aware and could protect themselves. I wasn't necessarily looking to trash these companies. I was looking for everybody who was a potential victim to become aware, to look at their bank statements, and to get this rectified, and also to figure out how many victims there were and see if we could find out a pattern or see if we can somehow use all of this info to figure out who did it and what way they used to get this information. I finally answered one of these calls. I was sleeping for a few of them, but finally uh, I, I happened to go to the bathroom of all things. <laughs> I think at like 9.30 in the morning on Saturday last week, I, I had to get up and pee. And as I'm going back, I'm looking at my phone. Oh, look, it's ringing. It's Global Payments. So I answered the phone and it's someone from Global Payments who is very, very concerned that he wants to make sure that I got my money back and they really, 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 really want to make sure I have my $10,000 back. Why do you think Global Payments was so worried about my $10,000 all those days after the fact? It's November 19th now. I called them on November 8th. November 8th, they were not very concerned at all. But on November 19th, now they're very, very concerned. They want to make sure that I've gotten my 10000 back. They really, really want to make sure. And if I don't have it, that they want to send it to me. They, they really want me to get that ten k back. Why do you think they want that so badly? Is it because they, they're worried about my Jew wallet being thinner? You think that they're concerned maybe that I can't pay my bills? You think they're worried that I can't buy in to the 100-200 limit hold'em game at Commerce Casino? No. That's not why. They didn't want me going around 
to media like ESPN anymore and being able to factually state that I'm still out the money, which at the time I did these interviews, I was. In fact, when I got the call on November 19th, I still thought I didn't have the money back because I checked on the morning of November 18th and I did not have the money back yet. And in fact, I was wondering what was going on, why it was taking so long. So I told them on November 19th that I didn't have the money back. I said I haven't checked since yesterday morning, but uh, last I looked a day ago, I didn't have it back. So I was told, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. well, here, give us your wire information. We're going to wire it to you right now. We want you to get this money back really fast. It'll be in your account by Monday. We promise. And I think they were serious. I don't think they were lying to me. They wanted me to have that money back so I wouldn't be able to say anymore that I was at that money. It was clearly a PR move because I was the most visible victim in the entire thing. Well, sure, I'm going to take my 10K back. I didn't have it yet. So I actually gave them the info to send the $10,000. And then when I got off the call, I I checked my banking out. And what do you know, in the late afternoon of November 18th, the $10,000 was returned to my account already. I, I think by the bank, but whatever. It was back in my account. So I emailed them and said, don't bother to send me the wire. I also was on the phone with them for about 90 minutes because I asked for a manager. I said, I want to speak to someone meaningful at the company here because the first guy I spoke to, he was nice and he was trying to get me my money back, but he didn't have any information. He knew about the whole thing, but he he didn't have much information to give me. So I was saying, well, when can I speak to someone in security? When can I speak to someone in management? So finally, I get transferred to someone in management. This is someone who's working out of Las Vegas. He was very knowledgeable, very knowledgeable of the company, of this scandal, of the entire situation. The guy was very knowledgeable. And it seemed like a pretty smart guy, actually, to be honest. And we had a long talk. Now, we didn't agree on some things. Of course, he was not wanting to state that his own company dropped the ball badly with security. But then I told him, like, I was honest. I I was polite with him. I was never hostile. I was never making any kind of uh, legal threats. I, I wasn't doing any of that. Like, I I was polite and cordial, but I was also very direct and honest. I, I told him that the global payments was extremely negligent. And at one point, uh, I said, you know, global payments was negligent, but MGM was very negligent in allowing these uh, withdrawals on the same day that the deposit happened without any play. And he said, I just want it known that I didn't say that. So he was worried I was going to quote him or something that he was bashing Ben MGM and he wanted to make sure that I understood he wasn't bashing MGM. So I said back to him, oh, I know you're not saying that. I'm saying that. (laughs) I said, I am very, very willing and proud to say that both Global Payments and Bet MGM were incredibly negligent in this situation. It wasn't just you guys. You guys screwed up big time, but you weren't the only ones to screw up. It was also Bet MGM because on their end, they should have never allowed this withdrawal to be done on the same day the deposit was done without any play having been made. Like that was a major screw up on their part. So yes, that's true, but that doesn't exonerate you guys from the mistakes you made. So like he wasn't even like arguing though. He, he was kind of like semi admitting that I had a point without directly saying it. But we had a long talk about things. And the most interesting thing to come from the conversation was that he told me they had identified the perpetrators. Ah. He said it was a fraud ring. I asked, was it a U.S.-based fraud ring? He said he didn't know. 
But he said that they have identified the fraud ring and they know who did it. I said, is it a global payments employee? And he said, well, I don't believe it is because I would have seen if someone got fired or suspended over this and nobody did. So it couldn't have been an employee. And I said, well, wait a minute. What if it was a former employee who knew about this vulnerability and once he left the company decided to exploit it? So could this be a former employee? And he said, well, I don't know. It could be. It could not be. Uh, I don't think that's been fully looked into yet. So while he wasn't saying it was, he also wasn't denying that it was. So I think there's a good chance it could be a former employee, or at least he said a ring. Like he, it did seem like it was a multiple people. A ring is not one person. So he seemed to believe it was multiple people, which I think is very possible. This looks like a pretty uh, sophisticated and uh, wide-ranging scam here. It's possible one person did it who was just very busy, but I, I think there was more than one involved. I think he's right. My guess is one of them did work for Global Payments at one point. Maybe not, but that's my guess at the moment. I said, okay, well, now that you've identified suspects, fortunately, I have a detective that is working on this. So how about you call this detective and you give this information to him? And guess what they told me? Guess what the response was? We can't just do that. We're going to need a subpoena from your detective to get that information. But come again? What? So wait, to give a law enforcement officer, a verified law enforcement officer from the state of California, to give him the information on the suspects, on this case that he's investigating about fraud against me for $10,000, that he's going to need his subpoena to get the name of these suspects and to get information about this? Yes, I was told. So I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's really obnoxious. That means you guys are hostile. That means you're not cooperative. It's one thing to demand I get a subpoena, which is bad enough, but to demand law enforcement get a subpoena? Why would that ever be the case if you guys are trying to cooperate? So he said back, well, that doesn't mean we're not cooperating. It's just a a legal procedure that our legal team uh, requires. I said, but it doesn't make any sense. A subpoena is to require a party to give up information that they otherwise don't want to voluntarily give up. That's what a subpoena is for. You don't need to be a lawyer to know that. You don't need a subpoena if someone is very willing to voluntarily provide the information you seek. The subpoena is saying you must give up this info even though you don't want to. That's basically what it is. So why would I need a subpoena? Why would my detective here need a subpoena unless you don't want to give it to him? Well... Think about this, he tells me. What if we name the suspects to this detective and then there's some kind of false arrest or the names get out and then we could end up being liable for having named them? And I said, are you freaking kidding me? I didn't say it in those words. That was was what I was thinking when I heard him say this. I said, oh, come on. That's not the way it works at all. You can tell law enforcement anything. You can say, this is the suspect. Here's why we believe this is the suspect or why these are the suspects. And there's the info. Do with it what you will. And then it is on law enforcement to verify this information, to validate it, to make sure that the suspects really are guilty before making any arrests or before publicizing any names. Now, if law enforcement messes up and just takes global payments word for it and arrests the wrong person based upon 
basically very flimsy evidence, well, then maybe they could be sued. But you know who would be sued? Not global payments. It would be law enforcement because law enforcement is ultimately the one responsible for making arrests or releasing any names of suspects. And if they do this when someone is not guilty, then it is their liability. It's never the liability of those who give the information to law enforcement. You are welcome to give anything to law enforcement as long as you're not knowingly lying to them. But if you suspect that a crime was committed by such and such person or such and such persons, and you give those names to law enforcement, and you give them the reasons why, and it turns out you're wrong, you're not going to be sued for that unless this was something that was maliciously done by you and you knew you were lying when you did it to law enforcement. But if you gave them, in a good faith effort, information that you thought could help law enforcement maybe figure out who did it, and you say, well, here's who I suspect, here's the names, that happens all the time. That's how cases are solved. You're not liable for giving information to the police. Never. That's not how it works. So once you give it to law enforcement, then at that point it's on law enforcement to do with it what they're supposed to. And if they mess up, it's on them. So that was a bullshit excuse, a bullshit excuse on the part of Global Payments. How they can say anything but, yes, have your detective call and we'll give him everything once we verify he's really a police detective, once we verify who he is, that we will give him everything. Anything short of that is lack of cooperation. And that's very, very bad. Now, keep in mind, Global Payments already designated a PR person to speak to the media about this matter. And they just keep putting out there this bullshit that they are working with law enforcement and cooperating. So I'm going to give you their statement. This is what Global Payment said to ESPN. We are assisting law enforcement with an investigation into fraudulent accounts set up at unaffiliated third parties using stolen personal information. There has been no security breach or fraudulent accounts open at our gaming business in connection with this investigation. Okay, let's stop right here. There's more than this, but let me just stop right here. This is such bullshit corporate speak, it pisses me off. It freaking pisses me off to read this. It gets me so mad to read this because they so carefully put this together where they're saying something which is technically true but doesn't address what's really happening and is very misleading. So let's look exactly what they had to say. That there were fraudulent accounts set up at unaffiliated third parties using stolen personal information. Okay, first of all, it's not unaffiliated third parties. BetMGM is not unaffiliated. BetMGM is one of your clients. So it's not unaffiliated. So that's the first BS. But let's go on here. There has been no security breach or fraudulent accounts opened at our gaming business in connection with this investigation. Well, what do you mean no accounts opened a gaming business in connection with this investigation. Yeah, they were not opening new accounts because that's not what they were doing here. They were accessing existing accounts that were created at your business that you did not protect. They got access to my bank account because you didn't protect it from them. They were able to use a dropdown and deposit $10,000 from my bank account because you did not protect them from accessing that because you didn't do proper security checks. And you also let them withdraw to a different bank account that was not actually operated by me to get the money off. You let that happen too. So while there was, quote, no security breach, which may not even be true, by the way, but even if there wasn't a security breach, to say there was no fraudulent accounts opened at the gaming business, that's the whole point. 
They didn't need to open one. You gave them access to my existing one with my existing info and banking stuff. Ugh. Then they finished off by saying, the protection of our customers and their clients' information and funds is our top priority, and we are working with these third parties to ensure any impacted individuals are refunded. If it's your top priority, why is there a subpoena necessary for a freaking police detective investigating this theft to get the information on the suspects, huh? Huh? When ESPN asked them about the scope of the fraud, which authorities were involved in the investigation, or what steps have been taken to make sure that this doesn't continue, they would not respond to those questions. Hmm. That's right there on the ESPN article. So Global Payments is called Global Payments Gaming Solutions, and they're very large. They're a very large company. That's why they're acting this way. They're looking to protect their own ass. Now, you will see if you Google them, they appear to be in Las Vegas, and they kind of are, but that's not their main headquarters. Their main headquarters is, I think, in Atlanta. It's nowhere near Vegas. I think it's Atlanta. But they have a customer service operation that is in Las Vegas, and the manager I spoke to last week was in Las Vegas. So there are some people with some power in Las Vegas. If this fraud was perpetrated by somebody who was once within the company, I bet it was someone who worked out of the Vegas location. But they actually are publicly traded. So they really do not want the appearance that there's been any kind of compromise because that'll be a disaster for their stock price. So that's why they're putting out this bullshitty statement, which while technically true doesn't really address what's happening and is very misleading that's that's exactly what companies do big companies that are trying to protect themselves very worried about their stock price has their stock price fallen yes but uh probably not because of this because the biggest crash of their stock price and i'm not sure why was from 125 dollars on october 28th to 94 dollars on november 3rd now, none of this was known on November 3rd, so it wasn't over this for sure. Then it went back up as high as 104 on November 11th, and then went back down to a new low, not as low as it was on November 3rd, but uh, close to what it was on November 3rd, back to $96 on November 21st, and then it uh, has moved back up to $101. Now, you might say, hey, November 21st, that's right after the ESPN article published, and it's possible that had to do with it, but... Keep in mind, it was already on its way down from since November 11th. So maybe some people saw that and were selling, uh, but the, maybe the ESPN article did something here, but it was already on its way down long before that article was published. And uh, remember, November 11th, I knew about it, but I hadn't made it public yet, and Joseph Chiang had not made it public yet. So it started its decline before any of this was public. So I, I think the... This was just fluctuations in the stock price and probably didn't have to do with this, but they were probably worried that if they didn't get a handle on this, that it might plummet. And by the way, guys, just letting you know, there is a major media outlet that is probably going to be publishing uh, an article soon. I can't say for sure because I don't control that, but they, they did interview me on Wednesday and they're working on it. There's Thanksgiving, of course, so this person couldn't do the research on Thanksgiving, but this person uh, is doing the research, this reporter, and not from ESPN again. This is from a different outlet, bigger than ESPN. And there might be an article there. So good luck. 
<laughs> I'm sure you guys will have heard from them by now, too. I'm sure you've already got an inquiry about it. So I'm sure if Global Payments is listening, you know who I'm t- talking about. But, you know, this deserves to be made public because it's very disturbing. This shouldn't have happened. How, how a huge company like this can have such a gaping security hole is shocking. So if there's bad publicity from this, tough luck. It's the truth. Never feel bad about publicizing the truth, especially about a big company. Global Payments did tell me that manager, they, you know, they have taken some steps to prevent this. What is interesting is that people are reporting to me, and I haven't independently verified this. I haven't gone on myself to take a look. But it has been reported to me that Borgata and BetMGM have removed VIP Preferred as a way to deposit. That's what I'm being told. And I was sent screenshots from Borgata. And the person was telling me, well, you know, BetMGM, they use the same system. They might be right. But definitely I was sent a screenshot from Borgata, which used to use global payments and right now does not. So they, they've taken it down at the moment. By the way, guess whose idea it was to take it down? I'm not saying they did it because of me. It was mine. I said, why don't you guys take this down until this is solved? Once you've got this fixed, then put it back up. But you should not be allowing these e-checks to be done right now until this loophole is closed. And, and nobody listened to me, of course. In fact, I was told I was crazy. I was told that, uh, oh, you know, we, we can't stop all these e-check transactions. It's a major form of deposit. We can't stop this because of uh, this amount of fraud, which while, you know, a lot to you, but, you know, compared to everything being processed, isn't a whole lot of money. And I'm like, look, the system was exploited. And until you close this loophole completely, not partially, but until you completely close it, completely prevent it, completely stop this from occurring, then you should not leave this open. You need to completely address the matter first and then reopen it. And I was treated like I'm speaking another language. Like, uh, how could we even think of doing that? But that should have been the first thing they all did. As soon as they heard about this, BetMGM should have said, okay, no more VIP preferred until we get this stopped. They all should have said that. BetMGM should have, Viejas should have, and Global Payments itself should have immediately majorly changed their procedure for depositing and withdrawing for familiar accounts until this is solved. So finally, they did some things, but only after all this publicity. And you know what? If I wasn't one of the victims and therefore wasn't pressing as hard on this as I was here because I was a victim, this may still be going on. The only reason anything was changed, the only reason Global Payments did any adjustment, the only reason MGM, uh, Borgata, I don't know what Viejas did or didn't do, I haven't checked, but the only reason any adjustment has been made as quickly as it has, and it wasn't quick enough, but the only reason it happened when it did was because I made a major deal of this on Poker Fraud Alert and on Twitter, and I got a lot of people's attention, and then it blew up. It blew up big. And because of that, They had to act. And in fact, that manager from Global Payments admitted this to me on the phone. He admitted that when they saw the ESPN article, there was a good chance that that was what uh, spurred them into more action. Because he said the overall dollar amount of fraud wasn't super high. Like they processed way, 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 way more dollars in transactions than the amount of fraud here. So from a standpoint of a fraud ring and what 
monetary damage it did all combined was not super high. It was still six figures, I'm sure, but it was not super high. So they're like, the only reason this is being dealt with with the urgency that it is right now probably is because of the publicity. Because that's what I said. I said, I bet you guys wouldn't be reacting the way you are right now if this wasn't highly publicized and making you look bad. And I was told, yeah, you know, the fact that this was on ESPN and on some other outlets, you know, that it, it probably did influence management to take care of this faster. And I'm sure that's true. And that was my goal, by the way. My goal was to get a lot of attention to this. With the truth, I was not, I never was lying. I was never exaggerating. I did have to take some guesses and stated what I was guessing. I, I never stated something as fact that I didn't know was a fact. I stated some facts, like the money was stolen from my bank account. It was bid MGM. Global Payments did the charge. After I learned from this dizzy person how easy it was, and I explained that and explained how I duplicated it, and I put all that out there. But like, as far as who did it or if they were an insider at Global Payments, uh, you know, that I was just guessing at, and I admitted I was guessing at it, and I admitted there's a possibility this was not correct. But I also stated factually where they screwed up. Even if this was not a breach of any kind of system, even if this was information gotten from the outside somewhere, it still should not have been able to be used this way. But they jumped on it because of the publicity, which was all generated by me. Others assisted in publicizing this. I thank everybody who retweeted this, and even those who liked it on Twitter. That also helps. And I also want to mention that I was on two major YouTube shows about this, ones that you might watch sometimes, ones with bigger audiences than me. One was Matt Berkey's Only Friends show, and they do this almost every day. They, they work very hard on this show. They put out a lot of content. It's a, it, these are both video shows. The, the first one was Matt Berkey's Only Friends, and the second one was Chicago Joey's show, both YouTube shows. Joey doesn't do them every day, but he does these incredibly long shows. And uh, Only Friends with Matt Berkey and, and his buddies there at Solfer Y, they don't put out shows that are as long as Ingram's, but they put out shows every day. So they put out a lot of effort with that, too. There are different types of shows. Joey Ingram kind of sits on his computer and kind of just riffs with the audience and talks about what's going on. It's more of like an informal show. And Matt Berkey, it's something that they've more put a lot of effort into pre-production. But anyway, these are both popular shows. And I want to thank both of these guys for having me on to talk about this because that helped as well. It definitely helped as well to get visibility to the issue that I was on those two major YouTube shows that have a lot of views, that have a lot of popularity. And Berkey jumped on this very fast and had me on, and so I, I thank him for that. And then Chicago Joey, a few days later, had me on too. So that's great. That is great that they had me on there. And I had some people asking me, well, why are you going on those other shows? They're competing with Poker Fraud Alert. And I said, no, they're not. They're not competing with Poker Fraud Alert. Poker Fraud Alert is an audio show. I'm not competing with them. Yes, we broadcast to some of the same audience, but this is an audio show, and it's just different from both of those. So they're not my competition. And, you know, I I like both Matt Berkey and Joey Ingram. I get along with them. They're not close friends of mine. They're not even friends. But 
they're people in poker I get along with, and they have these big shows, and it was a cooperative effort. So the important thing was to get this out there, and I knew they had these big shows, and I was happy to go on. I was very happy to go on and spread the word. This was not something self-serving. I wasn't trying to get attention or hear myself talk or try to get a bigger audience to this show. I mentioned this show. I might as well when I'm on there so people can go check out what we do here. But that's not why I came on there. I came on because I wanted people to know about it. I wanted people to check their bank statements. I wanted people to get angry, get outraged, bring attention to the issue because it was an issue that needs attention. So I thank Joey and I thank Matt for putting me on their shows to get this message out to their audience. And you know what? I was looking at the comments, both in their chat rooms and the comments that were made in the comments box of uh, both of these shows, and they were all positive. And that was nice to see. That was nice to see that people enjoyed my appearance on there. There are a number of people saying you got to have Dandruff back on more often. So thank you for those of you that said those things. It wasn't just listeners to this show. Some people were kind of like semi-familiar with me but didn't know me that well. And I'm glad people enjoyed my appearance and learned from it. So that was good that I got a positive reaction on there from their audience from what I could see. But that wasn't the point. The point was not to show off or to get plaudits from the community. The point was to spread the word. I wanted the word spread. When ESPN contacted me and said, hey, we want to interview about this, I said, great, let's do it. I dropped everything, and I I spoke to the guy because I wanted this out there. The whole point was to work very hard to get a lot of visibility, and I did, and I got the visibility, and it got handled. That's what you need to do. The community can be very powerful if it gets together and amplifies an issue. If everybody sits in their own little bunker and is only concerned with themselves, then we don't get anything done. But if the community comes together and makes demands that something is handled and dealt with, even a very large company has to because otherwise it can reflect very poorly upon them and snowball into something very bad. That's what we needed to do and that's what we did do. And thank you to the community who helped do this, both the guys who will be on their shows, the people who retweeted, the people who liked. Anything you do to create more engagement to something like this, you're helping. You really are. And that was my goal. My goal was to get eyeballs on this, to get people to understand what's happening, for people to understand how outrageous this is, that this shouldn't have happened, that there should have been guards against this, and that these companies failed us. And also for people to just be aware that they may have been victimized and to get their money back if they were. Because you just got to call your bank and report it and you will get the money back eventually. Now, who's to blame here? I mean, I've already told you somewhat, but who was to blame and how? Well, I can point really to three areas of failure. Failure area number one was on the part of BetMGM and Viejas for allowing these deposits and cash outs the same day as account creation and without any play. That's horrendous. That's obvious fraud. At the very least, it's a money laundering concern that should have never been allowed. That's complete negligence to allow that without any kind of checking of what's going on or just an outright refusal of it. That's failure number one, a a very big failure. Failure number two, global payments. They should not have given people this drop down to use 
previous bank information just because the person deposited on another platform in the past. And they should always verify when a new account is created on a different platform if they want to deposit. They shouldn't just say, oh, we verified this person already, no problem. They need to put out at least some level of verification that it's really them. And they didn't. It's tremendously dropping the ball. In addition, the fact that they allowed a new bank account to be added to the global payments profile for withdrawal without any kind of verification that it's really the person opened up a tremendous hole for fraud. That This was so obvious. And the fact that they let that happen without any kind of interference is just extreme negligence. That's horrible. How can a professional company like this that deals with payments all the time let something like that happen and not be aware that's fraud? Like, You don't have to be a genius in preventing fraud to know that that is an obvious sign of fraud. That's terrible they allowed that. And why are none of these companies doing any kind of 2FA check with the phone number on file? Why not text the person a code with the phone number they used previously for successful transactions? I'm talking about like the phone number I used back in uh, 2018. Why not text that number and say, do you approve this withdrawal? Give this code. Because if I got that, of course, I wouldn't have given the code to anybody and the withdrawal wouldn't have happened, nor would the deposit. So the fact that you can do all these without any kind of two-factor authentication is terrible, both on global payments end and at BetMGM and Viejas. But there's one other point of failure that I want to call out here, and it's not failure on the part of a company. It's a failure on the part of state regulators in certain states. Now, props to Nevada. Notice that BetMGM Nevada was not used for this. Notice that nothing in Nevada was involved except for those who deposited using eCheck on WSOP.com maybe in Nevada and then were later hit. But Nevada was not used to actually defraud anybody. Why not? Because Nevada has very strict requirements regarding know your customer. So, for example, if you try to create a BetMGM Nevada account, it's going to demand that you either present yourself in person at a sports book with your ID or that you take a picture live with your cell phone right now of your ID and send it to them for validation. So they have much stricter requirements to create an account in the first place in Nevada, and not because BetMGM wants you to be more secure in Nevada, it's because Nevada requires it. So thumbs up to Nevada state regulators for this, but thumbs down to these other states that allowed this to happen. West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. These state regulators don't know what the hell they're doing to not have stricter requirements. Why is there no two-factor authentication requirement? Why is there... No requirement with know your customer when these new accounts are created before any deposit can be made. Terrible. Terrible that this could happen. So state regulators, there's egg on their face too, for sure. Incompetence, for sure. Also, why were these companies not taking me seriously? I mentioned this before. I brought this to them on November 8th and they wouldn't even have security email or call me. They told me they would. Nobody did. I wanted to hand them the whole thing on a silver platter. They didn't want to listen to me. And in fact, all they wanted to do was fight me regarding what info they'd give me about my own account, about fake accounts made in my name that should be my property. It doesn't matter if I made it or not. If someone made an account with my info, with my name, with my date of birth, my social, it's mine. 
I'm not responsible for what was done with it because I didn't do it, but I should have full access to anything it did because it was done as me. And they won't give it. So very, very bad. So is that it? Is that where we stand right now? No. No, 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 no. That's where we stood, I'd say, around uh, November 19th. But, you know, it's November 26th, November 27th now. It's after midnight. So where do we stand today about a week later? Well, something else has happened since then, which is probably related. Yes, probably related. And that's become big news as well. And that, in fact, is why more mainstream media is now interested. And this also is believed to have caused a bit of a stock dip of a certain company. And that certain company we're talking about is DraftKings, which had its own separate scandal. DraftKings began as Daily Fantasy Sports, but eventually also became a sports book when they got licenses to do so. It's a very big company. It is publicly traded. And you may have read about account breaches at DraftKings, that someone was hacking DraftKings accounts and getting in and withdrawing money. Now, yes, the timing is pretty damn close. The hackings of the DraftKings accounts began right around the time this whole thing was winding down with a BetMGM scandal. So that right there is suspicious. But you may say, well, that might be a coincidence. Maybe one has nothing to do with the other. And you know what? Maybe one has nothing to do with the other. But I think they do, and I'm going to tell you why. So what happened was people were getting into DraftKings accounts. And if the accounts had money in them, like significant money, I don't mean like $30, but if they had any kind of decent money, then the money was withdrawn to an account that the victim didn't operate. And if there was not money in the account or not much money, then money was deposited in the account from bank accounts that were previously used. Hmm, sound familiar? But what was very different between the two is that notice in the BetMGM scandal that they were creating fake accounts where the victim just didn't have an account yet using the victim's personal information. Whereas here, they were actually breaching existing DraftKings accounts and just getting into them. So that's very different, right? Well, yes, but what they did from there was pretty similar. But how did they get into the DraftKings account? Was a master hacker involved? Did he break DraftKings security and get in somehow? No, it was a lot simpler than that. You've probably read about a lot of different data breaches over the years where such and such large company had a major data breach where hackers got in and downloaded their entire database of information. This information varies depending on what the company has compiled, but it usually has name, email address, some kind of password, uh, sometimes a physical address, sometimes date of birth. Usually not the social, because usually most companies aren't collecting your social security number, but whatever they've collected about you, these hackers usually get. And this is never aimed at a particular individual. No one's going to hack a giant company to get Todd Wutelis' information. They're, what they're doing is they're hacking these companies and downloading this huge database of millions of records. And then what they go do is they sell this information on the dark web to bad actors who want to buy it. Now, who would want to buy it? Well, anyone looking to do bad things with this information on a mass scale. Again, no one's going to buy this information just to get one person. 
but they'll buy a massive dump of this information and then use it on a mass scale. So what's been happening with this type of thing is something called credential stuffing. Credential stuffing is where this information is bought on the dark web by some kind of bad actor. And then what they do is they take email and password combos that were from one of these hacks and then try these combos on other sites to see if people use the same password everywhere. And that's how they get into accounts because some people just don't want to keep track of all these different passwords. So they just use the same password everywhere and they use the same email address everywhere. So they have the same email and password combo they use on every site. So those who have bought these big database dumps of previous hacks and the hacks don't have to be gambling sites. They can be any type of site. But if your information is on one of these databases from one of these hacks, then the bad actors may have your email and password that you use on those sites. And now they're going to try that same combo on other sites and see if they get through. Now, it's not some guy in Russia sitting here typing each one of these out and trying it manually. They usually have bots doing this. And then the bots will record which ones they got through successfully and which ones they did not. And if the bot doesn't get it successfully on the first try, it gives up. There's a lot of myths regarding password security. You know when you go create a password on a new site and it has all these requirements, you have to use a capital letter, you have to use a number, you have to use a lowercase letter, you have to use a symbol. So you have to create something like uh, capital R, uh, T-Y-U, seven, eight, nine, uh, exclamation mark. Like that would be a password that it would want. You couldn't just make the password like uh, red dog one. It w- that wouldn't be acceptable because uh, it's it's... Maybe it's missing a capital. Maybe it's uh, missing punctuation. So all these sites have different requirements for how strong of a password they want. But you know why I hate that? I hate it because it is not protecting the right thing. It's what's called the illusion of security. The problem is that hacking doesn't occur the way you think it does. When systems are breached, it tends to occur in one of two ways. Either it's done in some sort of backdoor fashion where the hackers just get into the system without using anyone's username or password. They just get into the entire system and download huge portions of data, like those databases of all that information I just told you, including emails and passwords. Or they use information they already have from previous hacks to attempt to get into other accounts on a mass scale. What they don't try to do is try a million different combos or a billion different combos of possible passwords you could have chosen to get into your account. So believe it or not, even if you have a fairly simple password, and I don't mean like the word password or something that's super common, but let's say you just uh, made your password uh, just some simple English word and then a single digit afterwards. So let's say you use the word grass, okay? So let's say you use the passwords grass1, grass2, grass3, grass4. Even if these sites let you choose that password, which they wouldn't. They'd say it's not long enough. They'd say it's not enough uh, special characters, whatever. But let's say it did. Let's say it did allow you to do that. You think with a simple password like grass1, grass2, grass3, grass4, you think those would be hacked really easily, right? They wouldn't. You know why? Because they're not trying to hack your password. They're trying to hack everyone's password. They're trying to, to breach t- 
tons of accounts at once. So they're not going to try millions of combos or billions of combos to get into your specific account. It's not worth their resources to do that. So if you were to use a different password on each site, even a very simple password, but just different on each site, even slightly different, like Grass 1, Grass 2, Grass 3, Grass 4, these hacks would fail as far as credential stuffing. Because even if they have your email and the fact that you used Grass 1 as a password in the past, they're not going to try Grass 2 or Grass 3 or Grass 4. They're just going to try Grass 1. And if Grass 1 fails and you're using Grass 2 instead on a different site, it's going to fail and move on because it's a bot doing it. And bots are not going to think, hmm, well, let's try Grass 2. It's not going to do it. That's not how they work. So while simple passwords like that feel insecure, they're not. Where at the same time, people do these super complicated passwords, sometimes because they're required to by the site, and it makes them feel secure, and then they reuse that same password everywhere, and they think, well, look what a tough password I chose. There's no way anyone's going to guess that. And then they go, oh my god, how did someone break into my account? Well, it's because the database was compromised on one site, they already got your password from that, and then they just tried it everywhere else. And since you use the same one everywhere, it doesn't matter how strong it is they get in. So there's very poor understanding of password security. The most important thing you can do for password security is use a different password on each site, even slightly different. Use a different password on each site. Don't worry about how complicated it looks. And that should be fine. Anyway, everyone I talked to regarding the DraftKings hack, because some of the victims came to me there as well, uh, Melissa Burr brought this to my attention as did uh, Eric Crane and, and others who both uh, are on DraftKings and on uh, poker sites and, uh, and sports gambling sites and stuff. You know, some people, a lot of crossover. So some of these people brought this to me. And so I, I connected with some DraftKings people who aren't really in poker. And every single one of the victims told me that, yes, they use the same email and password combo on multiple sites. So 100% that's what happened. In fact, DraftKings admitted that this is what happened. DraftKings actually put out a statement admitting that this occurred. So there's a second ESPN article by the same author. This is November 21st about DraftKings. DraftKings admitted that about $300,000 of customer funds were withdrawn in an attack that was one of these credential stuffing attacks like I described. DraftKings said DraftKings is aware that some customers are experiencing irregular activity with their accounts. We currently believe that the login information of these customers was compromised on other websites and then used to access their DraftKings accounts where they use the same login information. That's true, by the way. We have seen no evidence that DraftKings systems were breached to obtain this information. That's probably also true. We have identified less than 300,000 of customer funds that were affected, and we intend to make whole any customer that was impacted. We strongly encourage customers to use unique passwords for DraftKings and all other sites, and we strongly recommend that customers do not share their passwords with anyone, including third-party sites, for the purposes of tracking betting information on DraftKings and other betting apps. Okay, well, this doesn't let DraftKings off the hook either. Why did DraftKings not have a requirement with two-factor authentication? That's the first issue. Second issue, regarding the withdrawals. Why did they at least not have some kind of further authentication for withdrawals? Why was it so easy to make these withdrawals? 
I agree that the passwords likely were not from any kind of breach of DraftKings system. I, I believe these were bought on the dark web and then tried on DraftKings and customers that were careless enough to use the same password everywhere, uh, they were the ones breached. That's true. That part's totally true. But what is something that DraftKings cannot really excuse is the fact that they allowed these withdrawals to be made without any kind of verification and that people could log into these accounts without any kind of verification, especially if they're being seen from a different IP or at least a different geographic location of where that person usually logs in. So they're very poor security on that part as well. And DraftKings definitely has some responsibility here. They dropped the ball here. FanDuel, they said they had increased activity from unauthorized actors attempting to gain access, but, quote, thus far customers have not been impacted. So FanDuel did a better job for sure. So the fraudsters attempted to get into FanDuel and failed even though they tried the exact same method. By the way, this same ESPN article I'm reading from right now mentioned me again about the BetMGM thing. So I appear in two articles about this. <laughs> BetMGM said, by the way, the security of our patrons' accounts is of the utmost importance to us. Yeah, right. We encourage any impacted patrons to c- contact our customer service department directly. Yeah, I did, and you guys are very uncooperative. That's what I did. <sighs> The big question, is this related? Are these the same people, the same fraudsters? Is this maybe a copycat attack? It could be. Could be the same people. Could be just totally separate and coincidental timing. But I'll tell you where the similarities are. Number one, the timing. The DraftKings stuff started right around the time that the BetMGM stuff was winding down, like they were moving on to a new thing. And it was winding down because uh, some of these loopholes started to be closed. Number two, guess how they were getting off the money? Yes, a Venmo debit MasterCard. Are you surprised? I bet you're not. Same Venmo debit MasterCard scheme as an exit strategy. Also, the same scheme of stealing money out of bank accounts that were previously used. I don't know if VIP Preferred was used, but I know that previous deposit methods to DraftKings were used to steal money out of people's bank accounts. So they had two things happen. Number one, existing money that was sitting in the DraftKings accounts was stolen. That couldn't have happened in the BetMGM scandal because these were new fake accounts made with no money in them, obviously. But the breaching of DraftKings accounts, yeah, there was money in some of them, and they withdrew that money to Venmo debit cards. But also, if there was no money in them, they were sometimes depositing money through previously used deposit methods. So a lot of this MO is the same. The only thing really different is how they get an account in the first place. The BetMGM thing, they made a new fake account using that person's info. And in the DraftKings, they just breached existing accounts of those who use the same password. It looks like the BetMGM thing was probably a credential stuffing attack using bots, at least the bots were logging in and then recording that they could log in. And then maybe they would manually steal from there. But I'm sure it was bots trying all these different uh, accounts to see if they can break into. So this didn't necessarily happen to people who were known names, the DraftKings one. Whereas with poker, it was almost all people who were known names in poker. There There were a few people who were hit who were not known names in poker. So it does make me wonder how those victims were selected. It kind of seems like a combo. That's also what makes me suspicious that maybe this person had access to something to see because 
whoever did this hit a few people that were not well-known names in poker, which makes me think, how were these people chosen if someone didn't have access on the back end to see who likely had money in their accounts, who likely could be hit because they've made big deposits in the past? The big names in poker, that's easy to guess. You can say, okay, well, I'm guessing Todd Boutelis has a lot of money in his bank account. I'm guessing Phil Galfon has a lot of money in his bank account. Okay, you know, fine. But what about these no-namers? A few of them were hit, too, at BitMGM. But the DraftKings, it was different. DraftKings, it looks like they just ran some kind of bot to try every email and password combo that they had bought in the dark web, and then some of these got through, and then from that point, they stole through the successful ones. By the way, it was tried on other sites and failed. In fact, uh, PokerStars had some kind of weird thing happening where people on PokerStars New Jersey kept getting these 2FA codes sent to them by text, and PokerStars denied that this was any kind of uh, hacking attempt. They claimed it was uh, uh, some kind of system error. But I'm sure it was the same thing because it'd be very coincidental that it wasn't. So it looks like nothing was stolen through PokerStars, but it looked like it was attempted to be stolen through PokerStars, and because PokerStars had these uh, 2FA requirements, it didn't work. By the time Phil Galfond noticed he was stolen from, they acted pretty quickly. Phil Galfond tweeted on November 18th, you can email via the contact us link at VIPpreferred.com if you're like me and terrified of the phone. That got back to me in less than one hour and closed my account per my request. Impressive customer service experience during what's likely an extremely busy time for them. So this is Phil Galfond praising global payments. Well, yeah, sure. You know why? Because by the time you noticed you were a victim, Phil, this was a big story thanks to me. Thanks to me bringing this out there very aggressively and urging people to retweet it, urging people to share it, doing a big-ass write-up on my site so everyone could understand it. Because Twitter, it's, it's hard to explain all this detail. So I did a big write-up on my site, encouraged everybody to share it, appeared on long segments on both Matt Berkey's and Joey Ingram's show, Talk to ESPN. So I got all this out there. By the time you contacted them, all this had already happened. Yeah, of course, VIP payments is in VIP preferred global payments. They're, they're in panic mode. They're, they're trying to resolve this as fast as they can at that point because they want to look good. That's why it was such good service. If you tried calling them or emailing them on November 8th like I did, you would have had a very, very different experience, Mr. Galfon. So hold back that praise. Anyway, I think that they are probably related. I think it probably is some kind of fraud ring. I'm guessing, but of course not sure, that someone in that ring worked at Global Payments at some point. Maybe also worked at BetMGM at one point. Maybe there's a different person who worked at BetMGM. I don't know. I got to think there's some insider involved somewhere in this whole thing. Not 100% sure, but I would guess that at this point. But even if not... Even if these were just outsiders who noticed that the security was really lax, maybe because they made two accounts and noticed the second one, it was incredibly easy to deposit without any kind of verification. And they're like, hmm, I wonder who we could do this to. And they started just picking poker pros they thought they could hit and then bought their info on the dark web somehow. Even if that's all true and they didn't breach any systems and there was no insider in any of these companies, you know what? Y'all still screwed up. 
You seriously still screwed up because you didn't protect us. You didn't prevent this very, very easy scam to perpetrate that you should have had protections in place to prevent. It doesn't take a genius at BetMGM to say, hmm, depositing 10K and withdrawing 7,500 in one day to two different accounts when you haven't played at all on a brand new account? Huh, that kind of looks like fraud to us. Doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Same with global payments. And global payments should not just take for granted that somebody who enters the same information the same basic personal info with the last four, the social and the date of birth and the name, that if those three things match, that you give them unfettered access to that person's bank account. That's idiotic. It is nothing short of idiotic. And whoever made this decision was either incompetent or greedy. And when I say greedy, it's because they want to make this easy for you. And in fact, this was actually told to me by the rep of Global Payments. He said, you have to look at it from our point of view. If we make it too hard and too burdensome to deposit, people are going to use a different method, and we're going to lose that customer. So we have to weigh security concerns with convenience. Now, there's nothing wrong with that statement. That's the truth. That's the harsh truth, that customers don't like being put through a tremendous hassle when they want to deposit and gamble. They want it to be easy. When customers want to gamble, they're really not thinking of security. All they're thinking is, oh, my God, I want to get through this crap so I can finally play. I get that, and I get that customers may gravitate to the ones that don't put them through as much bullshit. So you're correct there. However, that doesn't excuse you from providing necessary security to prevent things like this. So you do have to have a minimum of security in place, no matter how convenient you want it to be, and you guys did not. You guys made it way, 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 way too easy. And you know what? This is what I told the guy, too, on the phone. I said, you know what's funny is that everybody who was able to make these easy deposits on the new site, you know what they all told me? I'm not talking about ones who were defrauded. I'm talking about ones who weren't defrauded. They just kind of noticed how easy it was that if they were using VIP Preferred and had used it before on a different site, how tremendously easy it was with no verification. You know what they all told me? They told me that at the time, they were shocked how easy it was. They thought it was too easy. They were surprised they weren't put through any kind of checks. And you know what that means? That means they were expecting some kind of verification. So if a customer is expecting verification and they're using your service anyway, that means they're not going to be bothered when you verify them because they wouldn't use your service if they're expecting verification and don't like it. So they're using your service expecting verification and then you don't do the verification and they're like, wow, that was way easier than I thought it should be, but hmm, that's kind of weird. Like that was their impression. So I said, you guys are making it so easy that people who are not stealing are thinking this is kind of weird and it's too easy. So that's a very bad sign. Major, major negligence on many fronts here. And I'll tell you, legalized and regulated gambling has let me down here. It really has. I am the first one to call out the problems with unregulated sites. In fact, we're going to get to another segment pretty soon that is about an unregulated site that was attempting to screw someone, it looked like. And when that happens, you have no recourse other than to hassle them on social media. So that sucks too. That can sometimes be worse. So I'm not someone who's a big cheerleader for unregulated sites. I never have been. 
In the 2000s, I had this argument. 2000s, I had people saying, oh, come on, we don't need regulation. Look, look how well everything's running. Look how well Full Tilt is running and PokerStars is running and UB is running. Why do we need regulation? These are all great. We don't need the government getting in the way. Well, yes, we did, because it turned out that Full Tilt and UB stole all the money and UB was also engaging in whole card cheating. Other than that, yeah, I guess we don't need government regulation, right, guys? Come on. And Full Tilt, they appeared to be solid. They appeared to be honest, and they weren't. They stole our money. So that's why you need regulation. That's why you can't just trust they're doing the right thing because they're operating out of their own interest, and you always want recourse. You always want an ability to sue someone or to make regulatory complaints against a company if they screw you. The fact that all you can do is try to shame them on forums and social media, that's not a good situation when there's a lot of money at stake. So I'm a big fan of the concept of regulated gambling, but it's got to be done right. And you know how you do it right? How do you do regulated gambling right? You have to have those writing the regulations be those who are very knowledgeable about the industry. And when I say the industry, I don't just mean the gambling industry. I mean the portion of the gambling industry that you are regulating. So if it's online gambling, you need someone who is very knowledgeable about online gambling issues. So they regulate all the right things. So you don't over-regulate things that don't really need much regulation, which is also the case, by the way. And you don't under-regulate things that need a lot more regulation, such as what just happened here. There should have been strict regulations against all this crap that just happened. This all should have never been allowed by law. The fact that you could do a lot of this crap is mind-boggling that this wouldn't be some kind of major regulatory violation, but sadly, in some of these states, maybe it wasn't. So you need people writing these regulations who have experience in the industry and who are intelligent enough to think about what you really need to protect against and what isn't all that important to worry about. And if you do it wrong, then the regulation is terrible. It can either be overly burdensome or not protecting people enough. And I've seen it both ways. You can't just say because someone was good at writing regulations for table games at brick-and-mortar casinos that they'll be good at writing regulations for online gambling. No. Completely different topic. Completely different animal. You need someone who is experienced in that part of the industry to be able to write them. Even if you have to bring an outsider for assistance. Bring in a consultant or whatever. By the way, I could do this. If someone brought me in as a consultant for writing these regulations, I could do a great job either writing them or assisting someone writing the regulations. Because I, I'm not an expert at writing regulatory language, obviously, and I'm not an attorney, but I could definitely state what needs to be regulated and also give my opinion on their ideas of what needs to be regulated. And I have a very, very good feel for what proper regulation would look like and what it would not look like. So they would need someone like me consulting on it. Not just me. It wouldn't have to be me. Just someone kind of like me. Someone with the same level of knowledge and interest in the subject. That's who they need to do these regulations. And if you don't have that, then you end up with terrible regulations and you end up with problems. You end up with things that need protection that don't have it and you have things that are super burdensome that shouldn't be. So where do we stand today? Where do we stand right now with this whole thing? Well, first of all, 
This is why Poker Fraud Alert exists. Because I would be on this whole thing even if I was not a victim. Admittedly, I wouldn't be quite as aggressive about it. I put a lot of hours into this. I, a long time I got, I've put into this in the past two weeks. And I, I just wouldn't have the time to put into that if it didn't involve me. But Poker Fraud Alert is here to shine a light on issues like this. To deeply investigate these issues. To figure out what's happening. To take our best guess at things when we don't know for sure what's happening. To put out theories. To put out possibilities. To advise people how to protect themselves. Which sometimes isn't obvious. To get the public's attention. And to be there as a listening ear if you've been screwed. That you know there is someone that you can talk to that will be fair, that won't automatically take your side, but if you really are being screwed, will listen to you and might help you get resolution. And as you'll hear in the next segment we do, that's exactly what I did for someone in a matter that had nothing to do with me. But Poker Fraud Alert is mainly here to shine light on wrongdoings by individuals and companies in poker and gambling and to make the community better and more transparent and force action to be taken when action isn't being taken or not being taken quickly enough to protect the community and to put out common sense analysis of scandals that are occurring and to be fair about it, to not fall victim to hysteria, to not overassume that things are happening. I've seen some of that too with this whole thing that some people are overstating what's occurred here. So I've said to people, no, I, I don't believe that your full social is out at this point. I don't think that fraudsters have that. There's no evidence they do. There's no evidence they actually have your bank account number. It now appears they don't. They just use that drop down to access your bank account. It doesn't look like that in the BetMGM scandal that they have any passwords of yours, that they just uh, created a fake account. And it looks like in the DraftKings breach, it really was just a matter of reusing people's emails and passwords they've used on other sites. So you can't say it's more than what we know it is right now. That's not responsible either. So I always do a fair analysis, even when I'm angry, even when I've been a victim. I, I always want to be fair. I always want to state what really did happen what really didn't happen, and what probably happened, and what probably didn't happen. And that's what we're here for, and that's what I am good at personally, and I'm glad I've gotten enough of a following. I don't have the hugest following in poker, but I'm glad I have enough of a following to where I can put something out, and if the community finds it interesting, or something that they need to know, or be aware of, or be concerned with, that people will start retweeting it, and liking it, and bringing attention to it themselves, to where... Others will find it even if they don't follow me. And that's what happened here. That's why it had hundreds of thousands of views because of the engagement I got that started with those who follow me and it went viral from there. Not super viral, but like viral within poker and gambling. And now it's starting to extend out of poker and gambling, as I've mentioned. So it's very important for our community to come together and do these things. And I'm happy to be one of the people doing it. I'm happy to be someone that people can count on to do this and to have the ability and the knowledge of these type of things to be able to analyze it fairly and accurately, or at least accurately as possible. 
I have many, many years' experience with this. This is just something I'm naturally good at. And there are some things I'm not naturally good at. There's, there's many things I suck at, okay? So I'm not, I'm not claiming I'm the greatest at everything, because I'm not. But there's some things I know I am good at, and this is one of them. Analyzing things like this, getting to the bottom of things like this, investigating things like this. I, I've always been good at it, and I have a lot of experience at it. I understand the whole thing. I can even think like the fraudsters and think what they were doing and how they were doing it, why they were doing it. Like, I can put myself in their heads. I can put myself in the company's heads. And that's important when you're doing all this here. That's why it's important to have a site like this out here. And also notice something that we don't have any kind of affiliate deals. So I can say whatever the hell I want about any of these gambling companies, and I don't care. Because as long as what I'm saying is true, then I don't have to worry about any kind of consequence. Because there's no legal consequence because I have a right to speak the truth. And there is no consequence to Poker Fraud Alert because we don't have affiliate deals. So I don't have to worry about being dropped as an affiliate. I don't have to be worried about a company saying, hey, Todd, you know, you're making us look kind of bad. We may have to drop our deal with you. I don't have to worry about that because I don't have any affiliate deals. So it is important to have independent poker media. And we are, to my knowledge, the only fully independent poker media where we are really just doing this for the community and nothing else. That's why it's important to follow Poker Fraud Alert, to follow me, to read the forum, to listen to the show if you're interested in this sort of thing. Because you're going to get the truth. You're going to get an honest and fair assessment. It's never going to have hysteria. It's never going to have crazy assumptions. I listen to people. I don't always take their side immediately. And there have been times when people have brought things to me and I think to myself, ah, you know what? I don't think this site really did anything wrong. And I'll have to tell them that. I'll have to tell them I don't think you have any recourse here and here's why they did it. And unfortunately, this is the way it is. But there's been many other times I say, wow, you got screwed here. Let me put this up on my site. Let me interview you on the show. Let me put this out on Twitter. Let me see if I can get some positive resolution for you. And you know what? We've gotten positive resolution for people many times, including several times this year. And the next story, you're going to hear about a big one where we did that. So that's why it's important to have something like this. And that's why you can always feel free to come to me. And you know what? I'm never going to put out your business out there if you don't want me mentioning your name, if you don't want me saying anything in public that you tell me. I'll respect that because you don't owe me anything. Anything you tell me is you volunteering something to me, so I don't want to make you feel regretful that you volunteered something to me. But always feel free to come to me with any concerns. And I mean that. And you can tell others as well. You have friends that have concerns, come to me. Now, if they come to me with something stupid, like, oh, I think such and such site is rigging because I've, I've lost pocket aces six times in a row, and how's that going to happen? I, I'm not going to listen to that crap. But I'm talking about a, a real legitimate gripe of where you're getting the shaft in some way, or your friend is, or whatever it might be. Even if it's not about poker or gambling, you can bring it to me. I'll give advice. But that's what we do here, and I'm happy to do it. So where we stand right now, BetMGM... Viejas and Global Payments are working to put an end to this, and they've already taken some steps. I won't go into exactly what they've done, but things are being done. It appears that Borgata has already dropped uh, Global Payments. I don't know if permanently or temporarily, but things are being worked on. So I'm guessing this 
exact scam, the impersonation scam through global payments, uh, stealing money. I think this is pretty much over. That's my guess. But the DraftKings thing was uh, happening as of a few days ago. Maybe that stopped. Maybe it hasn't. Of course, DraftKings is aware of it now, and they're probably working on it on their end to see what they can do, and they're probably going to make some changes. So this kind of shook all the companies. Uh, DraftKings stock actually fell on the day this went public and the day they made the admission that some accounts were breached. You never know why stock falls. So unless it's a gigantic drop that is atypical of tip of fluctuation that happens in the stock value, you can never tell if it's because of a certain statement put. But it does kind of seem from the pattern of DraftKings stock that the announcement did have an impact on the stock. However, it did go back up. So it looks like it was a temporary slip in the stock value, but that it went back to where it was. And it wasn't a major slip. It was like from $15 down to like $14.29. And then it went back up. Still, that could have been part of a normal fluctuation, especially because it was already slipping some before that. But I would guess maybe that had something to do with it because I saw a lot of articles about the DraftKings breaches. So I have to think that investors may have gotten a bit spooked there. That got more publicity than the BetMGM thing. And that is what kind of made the very mainstream media beyond ESPN take notice of what would happen at uh, BetMGM as well. And that's why I got the contact. So if the DraftKings things hadn't happened, this wouldn't have gotten as big outside of poker. But that's really made it big now. So while the good news is there are probably going to be some steps that are taken to prevent this, the bad news is that this was able to happen in the first place. And, you know, there could be something else that hits us in the future. But our information is not well protected. Our bank accounts are not well protected. And our accounts on these sites are not well protected. And even if they ultimately give you the money back, which they usually will, it's still a hassle and it's still very unnerving. It shouldn't happen. And you lose access to your money for some time and you have all the stress and you have to change bank accounts. A a lot of stuff happens as a result of this. Just the fact that you get the money back doesn't really solve everything. It solves it from the financial standpoint. But there's a lot of ways that people are harmed from this if they were victims of it beyond just the monetary value. I always hate, well, did you get your money back? Well, yes. Okay, well, then you're you're fine. Everything's good. No, everything's not good. This shouldn't have happened, and there's a lot of individual fallout to those it happened to. There's also going to be those who never notice it happened to them, people who just don't look at their statement enough or ones who make enough deposits on these sites where they don't notice extra ones there. I noticed especially because I don't have a BetMGM account. So when 10K vanishes from my account and it's from BetMGM and I don't have a BetMGM account, that's really obvious. But somebody who's making a lot of different deposits, if like 1,000 or 1,500 is stolen out of their account, and some of these were like 1,000 or 1,500, not all of them were like 10K. 10K was the biggest I saw, in fact. So if you make a lot of deposits for 1000 or 1500 to BetMGM and then a fraudster makes a fake account and deposits as you, you may not notice. You may just see a bunch of similar deposits on there and not notice there's an extra one. So I'm sure there are people who haven't noticed yet and may never notice. So you need to be able to feel secure that they are doing enough to protect you. If 
hackers get in in a way that nobody could have imagined, and they had industry standard security and know your customer procedures, and the fraudsters beat them anyway. That's one thing, but when there's major negligence that allows fraudsters to steal from you, that's a big problem, and that's what happened here for sure. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. Got a text from the 773. They got a they got an email from DraftKings. Hi, and then they put the person's name. At DraftKings, the security of our customers and their information is a top priority. Given recent reports of irregular activity on some customers' accounts at DraftKings and other gambling sites, we encourage you to take advantage of convenient ways to protect your account. Use unique passwords change your password, and opt into two-factor authentication. And then they explain why you need to do these things. Yeah, well, you can opt into two-factor authentication. I think it should be required for withdrawal. That's what I think. I think at the very least for withdrawal, you need two-factor authentication. And to add a new bank account, again, should be at the very least two-factor authentication. From the 480, apparently some Democrat is trying to introduce a bill to shut down the card rooms in Texas. Ironic, since they always claim it's the GOP trying to stop poker. Yeah, I didn't really look who's trying to do that. It's actually not a story for this week. But yeah, there's dueling bills in Texas right now. One which would license and regulate the poker rooms there. And this would once and for all legalize the poker that's going on in Texas and regulate it to some degree. And presumably the operating rooms right now, such as the one Doug Polk is a part owner of, the Lodge, presumably those would be the first to get the licenses. So there's that bill, and then there's another bill that is attempting to just make the whole thing illegal, to once and for all answer the question of can they run these clubs where people play poker for real money and where no rake is taken, but they can charge a seat charge or a time charge and club membership fees and ways to get around actually charging a rake. So I agree they have to go one way or the other. I agree that there just does need to be a decision. Either poker is allowed in Texas or it's not. This middle ground is not doing anyone any favors. So some people have to be holding their breath over there, like Doug Polk, because if they pass the law that makes poker illegal in Texas, then all those rooms are going to be shut down immediately. Now, they may have some time to appeal it and fight it in court or whatever, but if that ends up being the law, then they're going to shut down. That's it. There's no way around it. But they could benefit the other way. The The other bill could pass that makes it legal and then they can get basically a head start on these licenses over other businesses that would have otherwise operated there. So depending on which one passes, it could either screw business owners like Doug Polk or really help them, or neither could pass and we'll still be stuck in the same limbo. Regarding Democrats and Republicans, I've said this for a long time that this is mostly a nonpartisan issue. It is true that Republicans are typically a little more against this than than, uh, Democrats, But it isn't like you would think. There are many pro-gambling Republicans and there are many anti-gambling Democrats. So it really just varies from politician to politician and sometimes varies based upon the special interests they represent. 
which shouldn't be the case, but often is. So sometimes it has to do with who is donating to their campaigns, maybe even bribing them. So this is not really a left versus right issue. So it doesn't really shock me that the politician behind trying to make the Texas cardrooms illegal is a Democrat, because it could just as easily be a Republican as well. There's different concerns that these politicians have, and it's not always along party lines. Really, the Republican Party doesn't have a strong opinion on legalized gambling, neither does the Democratic Party. This has been kind of a non-issue for them for the most part. There's a lot of things that are very politicized these days where the parties have a very strong opinion one way or another on a particular issue, but gambling is not one of them. Thank you for listening to part one of Poker Fraud Alert Radio from November 26th to November 27th, 2022. This was split into two parts, just like the last show we had, because there was a major topic that I wanted in its own episode. And not only that, the episode itself was very, very long. Even after taking out the breaks, it was almost eight and a half hours. So I figured rather than delay releasing it until I can post-produce the whole thing, why not just release the first part of it, where we were talking about the BetMGM bank thefts, and then do the rest later. So that's what we're going to do here. And if the second part's already up, then good news, you can listen to the whole thing. Otherwise, just wait a few days, and the remainder of that episode will be up. I don't know if I'm going to do this going forward. I don't know if I'm going to start splitting these into two parts in the archives regularly, or if this is just kind of a November 2022 thing to do. Coming up in the other episode, you will hear an interview with Mandy Minx, who won a large jackpot on Ignition Casino, only to have them freeze her account and refuse to pay her. And we got involved in helping Mandy out. So you can hear that interview, and you can hear that whole story. Plus, more coverage of the FTX situation. Plus, Bitcoin Latinum. Another thing promoted by Phil Helmuth. That is in trouble. And I will tell you what's going on there. And also, the Joey Ingram scandal involving Norman Chad. I wouldn't really call it a scandal, but it's kind of a bit of drama. Scandal's not a fair word to use. It's the Joey Ingram Norman Chad drama. Sorry Joey. Sorry Norman, but you know, it's been a long night. Alright, part one is over. Part two's coming soon. Shalom. Shalom.